Well, I digress. Hello, are you ready for your deaths? Yes. yes. I told you. I'm ready to do No. <laughs> no, I'm not ready. Leave me alone. I just want to live. I told, I told you last night I wasn't ready. <laughs> uh, welcome, everyone. We are back for episode two of our Terra Obstacular campaign. We are joined by two new players tonight, Tom and Smithy, who will introduce their characters momentarily. Without further ado, we shall begin! So, it's been a while since episode 1, and last time you played in episode 1, uh, you all were part of an archaeological dig just outside of Arkham. And... This archaeological dig was special as what originally was thought to just be the remnants of the Puritan settlement ended up being the remnants of a Viking settlement predating European colonization of the Americas. This was not the strangest thing discovered at the expedition, however as you also discovered strange artifacts, thousands of years old, that depicted uh, battles between humans and strange ape-like creatures. Spurred to investigate further by the leader of the expedition, Professor Manning, you ended up unintentionally activating a spell bound to one of the artifacts causing the centuries-old dead interred in the colonial cemetery to come to life as Draugr to hunt down their ancestral enemies of the Viking settlement, those with the blood of the Hyperboreans. Unsure of what was going on and with answers in short supply, you somehow yeah. managed... Yep, yep. You somehow managed to destroy the idol that had raised the undead, and you hoped that such horrific things would never happen again. It has now been a month since that horrific ordeal. It is October of 1926, and Myra Digger Archibald Woodham and Mike Moxley have returned to day-to-day -day life as per usual. Myra still feverishly searching for answers about her husband's violent and premature death. Archibald Woodham gearing up for another expedition, another safari into the wilds of Africa, just so he can add to uh, the head of an elephant or a lion to his mantle. And Mike Moxley, having become something of a big shot around the Arkham Advertiser since his reporting on the events of one month ago, has not been in a soup kitchen for quite a while, has managed to buy some slightly more upmarket threads, and is now reporting on slightly more interesting events, such as local sports games and raffles down at the down at the uh, local socialites club. And <laughs> yeah, moving up in the world in a big way. <laughs> exactly. However, 
Mike. About a month, about a month since those horrific events, uh, you're starting to wonder where your next big scoop is coming from. Um, and Smithy, your character sheet is perfectly fine. Um, um, you're wondering where your next big scoop is coming from, and so you start pouring through uh, not only new edition, new editions of the Arkham Advertiser, like pouring through them the day before they're meant to go on sale, but also uh, looking at other publications just to see if there's any hint of something that might develop into a story that you want to pick up on. And it is when you're absent-mindedly browsing the uh, journal, the New England Journal of Archaeology, that you see an article that piques your interest. Something written by a woman named Anna Mae Sadler, no less. The ill-fated journalist who was with you for part of those horrible events last month. And as soon as you read the headline, a chill runs down your spine as you somehow know that this is going to involve you soon enough and that it is bad news. I'll place it up in Discord so everyone may read it and Mike Moxley may go ahead and read the article. Alright. Mill prepares for Arctic Expedition. In Greenland, the glaciers move across the land slowly, their progress measured in centuries. One such slow-moving glacier has recently revealed a giant wall of stone covered in high ancient hieroglyphics that are thought to be thousands of years old. Details are still sketchy, but reports say the massive slab of stone, which apparently protrudes from a glacier, features a massive bas-relief of an ancient Eskimo god. On hieroglyphs surround the figure and is hoped that they may reveal the secrets of a civilization thousands of years old. Above is a pictured an artist's conception of the Greenland Wall of Stone. Professor Curtis Matheson of Miskatonic University, oh good, love those guys, has <laughs> recently procured permission for the Danish government to head an expedition to conduct research in the area. He has already begun to select his team as recalled the Dalina, a research vessel leased by the university to carry the expedition to Greenland. Matheson expects to have the expedition underway in mere weeks. When asked to speculate about the origins of the wall, Matheson said, I'm not prepared to do so at this time, although I will be happy to make a full statement when accurate research of this phenomenon has been accomplished. Suffice to say, the wall seems to be extremely ancient, and the sketchings I've done seen in the hieroglyphics seem to indicate they belong to no known linguistic family. Ominous indeed. Absolutely. Sure enough, it is within days that you receive a phone call from a Professor Matheson of Miskatonic University's Archaeology and Anthropology Department. He is light on the details, but he simply says that he is preparing an expedition Greenland to begin very soon, and due to your reporting on Miskatonic University's recent dig a month ago, he would like for you to take part in this expedition. And so he invites you to come and meet himself and the other members of the expedition at Miskatonic University's Orn Library later that same day. Hmm. Alrighty then. 
One year cat, I guess. And is there anything you would like to do before you attend this meeting? Um, hmm. Excellent question. Do I know anything else or is there anything else I can find about this Matheson guy before I go and meet him or Oh yeah, if you wish to, you may go ahead. Okay. Um so I would uh, how would you like to do it? Would you like to look in uh, old archives of the paper or just ask around? Am I trying to ask around? It's usually how I get most of my info. Yep, very well. Uh, please make either a charm or persuade check. Uh, we go in for persuade, and I immediately have to re. Immediately have to push that. <laughs> and that's a 45 cents a pass for me. Very well. You ask around your usual contacts and the new contacts you picked up over the last month. And. You're not in a lot of academic circles, so information is scant, but you do uh, glean that Professor Matheson is the same man who sponsored the expedition from last month. The one who Professor Manning was supposedly reporting his findings to. Uh, a senior type, someone who's high up in the archaeology and anthropology department. Yeah, and this all but the... confirms your fears. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, more importantly, he probably knows more, pretty much everything about what went down and hasn't mentioned to anyone, which is concerning. Yes, exactly, as you know for a fact that uh, artifacts and archaeological findings were taken from that dig, but they were yep. essentially sequestered away in the restricted section of the Orn Library and never revealed to the public. Myra Digger and Archibald Woodham, you also receive a call from Professor Matheson inviting you to be part of this expedition. And much like Mike Moxley, you're plagued with immediately with this sense of foreboding, knowing somehow that this is a continuation of those events from last month. Is there anything either of you would like to do before you head to Miskatonic University to meet Professor Matheson and the other members of the expedition? Was that me, sorry? Yeah, you, you and M1. Just ask if you'd like to do anything before you head off to meet Professor Matheson. Uh, no. I, I think I'm good, thank you. Yes. Answers are forthcoming. <clears throat> and... M1, Archibald Woodham, uh, knowing that you may be walking into something related to the events of last month, is there any particular preparation you would like to make before you set off to meet Professor Ooh. Matheson? I do not think we need to do any preparation on behalf, because we already have the information available to us, so we can just recount it, can't we? Yes, you just you just make sure you have your pith helmet on and... <laughs> oh, sorry? You just make sure you have your trusty pith helmet, of course, before you leave your oh, yeah. home. <laughs> I'll, I'll just wax it up then. Yep, you wax up your pith helmet, dress yeah. into khakis, put it on your head, and oh, head gosh. off to Miskatonic <laughs> University. So, uh, you are all assembled in the Orn Library of Miskatonic University. When you arrive, you are greeted in the vast library by Professor Matheson himself, and he quickly directs you away from the 
rows of tall bookshelves and lead tall bookshelves and leads you away into a small annex uh, along the side of the main library area. Some sort of reading room, usually for usually used by groups of university students to study or compare notes. And you all arrive. You see each other, Myra and Mike Moxley and Archibald Woodham. You all recognise each other from the events of last month. But there are some unfamiliar faces uh, gathered to meet Professor Matheson as well. First of all, you see a rather well-built man, maybe in his mid to late 40s, a weathered face and weathered face, leathery skin, and his hands covered in uh, sores and scars, looking like he's spent most of his life uh, roughing it in the great outdoors. And also, a man just like Archibald Wood, dressed in khakis, but instead of a pith helmet, he's wearing a fedora, and as he sees you enter, he tips his fedora and holds out his hand, and Smithy, please introduce your character. Well, sitting before you, you see a face that you've possibly seen before. He's, uh, he's been in all the papers, and uh, he's quite well known around, amongst the circles. I am uh, Arkansas Smith, famous explorer archaeologist, and uh, here to lend my many skills towards whatever ventures may be going forward. <laughs> You've seen Arkansas's face in the papers, just as he said. However, you notice that he's often not really reported on as being, you know, an expert archaeologist or anything. Rather, you've seen the way in which he's reported in the media seems more akin to what you'd expect from a celebrity or a rock star. He seems much more more like a famous adventurer than an archaeologist. But you are confident that he must be an expert in his own way. The other man, the man with the weathered-looking face and rough hands, just nods and... Tom, please introduce your character. So, a step forth into him. You can see I'm sort of halfway through... Um, checking a backpack. I've got various ropes, picks, things, um, cooking implements tied to it, um, everything very neatly organised. Um, I extend a hand out to sort of the first person that I met you. Victor Karasberg, I will be your guide. <laughs> Myra, Mike, do you have anything to say to the new acquaintances Mike's going to tip his uh, his own recently bought the door back at the uh, of the new back at arm. Oh, yep yeah just gonna go away yeah I'm, uh, Mike Moxley uh, you know, you've probably seen a couple of my articles in the, uh, in the papers recently nice to meet you you guys look like you get up or something meanwhile Myra Digger a woman uh, uh, rather at first dainty looking woman, obviously of high breeding, wearing uh, a very well, finely tailored, uh, very high, finely tailored 
spring dress and bodice looks at you and you notice that at one point she may have been very beautiful but now her face is covered in unsightly scars and sores and odd swellings and she just narrows her eyes as she looks at you and Myra do you have anything you'd wish to you'd like to say pleasure meeting you boys it's gonna be an adventure <laughs> yes you know that firsthand mm. Professor Matheson, uh, clad in a clad in a brown knitted vest and black pants, uh, his head nearly bald, save for small tufts of grey hair poking out uh, on the sides just above his ears, clears his throat and gestures for you all to take a seat within the room. He wastes no time getting to the reason why you why you are here. He says, You've all received my invitations to join my expedition to Greenland. A startling discovery has been made. Eskimos who are hunting walrus on the east coast of Greenland have sighted a huge block of dark stone protruding from a glacier. If you've been up on your archaeology, you may have read about it in the requisite journals. takes a breath and he continues the stone is thought to have been exposed during this year's spring thaw now as you may have read the reports from the Eskimos are somewhat sketchy but apparently the massive slab of stone is carved with uh, some sort of representation of a, a god or a hero surrounded by odd hieroglyphics uh, the stone itself protrudes from the end of the glacier over a fjord now we have a research vessel off the eastern seaboard, the Darlena. Uh, we've recently called her back, and she arrived in Arkham earlier today, in fact. So, I have quickly assembled a team, each of you selected for your specific talents, and if you wish to join us on this venture, uh, we will be leaving later tonight. You guys don't waste any time, do you? He nods and he says, of course, he says, there is some belief that the glacier may uh, not be entirely stable. It was exposed during the spring thaw, and as such, it is possible that the glacier may, in fact, melt at a later time, plunging the stone into the abyss. As such, we've got, uh, we, we need to act fast if we're to glean anything from this remarkable find. He says, I believe you three, he points at Mike Moxley, Archibald Wooden, and Myra Digger. I believe you three already know each other and were present at the Digger month ago, the one headed up by Professor Manning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was, uh, that was a swell time. Mm -hmm. He nods and he says, well, unfortunately, Professor Manning is still in the hospital. But we did indeed find some interesting discoveries in that dig and outlandish tales of monsters and walking dead aside, I believe <laughs> it is our due, dil due diligence as academics to investigate this new finding, as I personally believe it to be connected in some way. 
He says, I have invited you three along due to your experience of that expedition. He nods at Mike Moxley and says, Indeed, uh, it will behoove us to have a journalist or photographer such as yourself along to document our findings. I've also invited along Arkansas Smith and Victor Carisberg here for their expertise in archaeology and mountain climbing and wilderness survival, respectively. He says, as, as the stone is in the wilds of Greenland, uh, we will definitely need a guide, and I have heard that Victor is the best in his field. He clears his throat again, clasps his hands together, and he says, Well, you've heard my pitch, my proposal, as it were. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, yeah, well, the pay is right. I know what my job is here. <laughs> he nods, turns to the others. He says, you don't have to come along. In fact, if you do not wish to take part, you may leave now. I merely thought that I would do you the courtesy of inviting you along for what is sure to be perhaps the greatest finding of uh, this department's existence. Well, uh, I'm looking for answers, and I'll come wherever they may be. I have a quick question. Yes? Uh, what is the date currently? Ah, uh, the date currently? It's, we'll say, October 2nd. So, heading into winter. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, heading into fall. It's, it's yeah. about yes. early to mid-fall. Yeah, but in the Arctic... Yeah. May as well be winter. No. Which means well, that really the stone the has been exposed for at least a month at this point, if it was exposed during the spring thaw. And knowing what you know about wilderness survival, particularly in the Arctic, you know that if indeed it's going to be reclaimed by winter and tossed into the ocean, then what the professor says about being on a time limit is certainly correct. Okay, and that also gives me a fair idea of the hazards that I'll be facing, because summer in Greenland is very different to winter in Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, does anyone else have any other questions? Um, just a, um, if this is a, a higher prize as you see, it's going to be a very nice write-up in the end. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I share the same sort of sentiment. How, I, I don't suppose you want to have any more uh, updates on the uh, the other professor. What was what was the other professor? Professor name? Manning. Yeah, Manning. Uh, just as a just as an update, since this kind of ties in with the uh, last expedition. He looks at you and he's silent for a moment, and then he just frowns and sighs, and he says, "Alas, poor Professor Manning has been in the hospital since those events." Uh, I visited him once and found him rocking back and forth in his uh, room, uh, rambling about the undead and monsters and questioning over and over what he had brought upon himself and the people of the town of Rockport. <laughs> you don't say. He says, now, 
well, I wasn't there, so I cannot say for certain what may have happened, but I, for one, uh, tend to approach things from the side of a, a skeptic. And so while I do believe it is possible that you and Professor Manning saw some things there you weren't quite prepared for, stories about monsters and curses and the like uh, tend not to faze me. Um. Is there anything well, else? He says with a sort of innocent, feigned innocence to his voice. Um. In regards to this expedition, um. How provisioned are we, and how long are we expected to be out? He says, well, he says, we've acquired provisions to last uh, 30 days. Now, at least seven of those days will be the voyage to Greenland, leaving approximately 20 days or so to conduct the research, and from there it will be a journey of only a couple of days to the nearby nearby port of Godthab. In Godthab we'll be able to regroup, uh, Collate our findings and acquire provisions for the journey home. Um. Now, will we have access to firearms for the sake of polar bears, for instance? He says, well, I'm not expecting much trouble. Of course, there are polar bears and other wildlife such like that. And mountain oxes, um, a, a, a run-in with any of which could bring our entire expedition to a grinding halt unless we are properly uh, equipped. He says the crew aboard the ship have procured three hunting rifles. They feel that will be sufficient. However, uh, even though we'll be entering the territory of Greenland, we'll be far away from civilization, and I very much doubt we'll have the chance to go through customs. And so, he winks and says, if you have uh, munitions of your own that you feel it prudent to bring along, I will not protest. Right. I'll simply turn a blind eye. I nod and I go, um, well, I'll just bring a big loud revolver hopefully to scare off anything that's he nods and he says of course i would not wish for any of our expedition to end up as a uh, fodder for polar bears <laughs> it'd be a very indignant way to go if i say so myself and yep any injuries that occur far away from civilization are much more drastic than anything we do close to it he says, yes, and the ship does have a fully stocked medical room. We do not have a specialist in medicine, but many of the crew are at least trained in first aid. And so we should be able to stabilize any uh, injuries long enough to keep the uh, member of the expedition safe until we can get them proper medical attention. And I'm not satisfied. He claps his hands together and he says, Very well. Uh, 
I will uh, pass along a contract and a small waiver. It simply uh, says that in the event of any injury or death, you agree and your ex of kin agree not to hold Miskatonic University accountable. Uh, furthermore, any work you conduct or discoveries you find are officially done under the guise of Miskatonic University, meaning that all discoveries become the intellectual property of myself and the department, yada yada, you know the rest. And he passes around a piece of paper and you all sign your names on it. You all sign your real names, I'm presuming. Yes, I have yes. no reason to... Yeah, I was going to say, I have no reason to yep. not do that. Sign your names, Professor Matheson takes a piece of paper, he briefly looks at it, and he folds it up, inserts it into his breast pocket, and then he says, Well, I'll meet you at uh, Arkham Harbor at about uh, 7.30 then. The Darlena will leave just shy of eight, and uh, I hope you're ready for seven days on the sea. <laughs> um, as I, as we depart, um, I go to each member of the expedition and hand them a pair of boots and instruct them to wear it for the entire time they're on the ship. <laughs> because you're not going to be want to you're not going to be wanting to wear in hiking boots while you're hiking. Yes. So you want to get them used to the boots. Yeah. Okay. So what do the rest of you think of this? Well, he's, he's the uh, here. yeah. Yeah. He, he's the mountain. He's the guide. So. And also, the, I don't give you much. I, I just feel like um, I'll be your guide. Put these on wear them for the entirety of the journey and then I just go to the next person. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not well, I appreciate the offer, but uh, I've already got my own uh, boots. Yes, yeah, so you just tap yours and show him show him a pair of boots that are pretty much identical to the ones that he's handing you. Alright, make a mental note that I'm not going to have to babysit this one too much. Um, <laughs> ah, he's going to hate me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, whilst, yes. all this, whilst all of this was happening, uh, Arkansas just had uh, his whip and he was just playing around with it, checking the end of it, making sure that his whip Ready. was in pristine order. Hoping, hoping there are no spiders to be found in Greenland. And keeping an extreme eye around the whole room. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you leave Orn Library, you say goodbye to each other for now and say you'll meet each other later and you have a couple of hours to kill before you have to uh, meet everybody at Arkham Harbour so is there anything anyone would like to do in this time? Any last minute preparations you would like to make? It depends uh, winter clothing um, uh, supplied on this voyage Well you would assume hard? yes that they are going to supply clothing suitable for the Arctic for all mm. the members, but if there's anything extra you'd like to acquire just in case... Well, I already have a main camera plus the backup one to, you know, obviously to get around what happened last time. So <laughs> always bring backups nowadays. Um, hmm. Oh! Um, also, are there any members of our expedition that look particularly physically unfit? Uh, would probably be Mike Moxley, the journalist, yeah. and very yeah. possibly Myra Digger. Although... No, Myra's... Myra's quite fit? I, 
Yeah, Myra's quite fit, yes. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, I most definitely am not. Yeah, so you're basically just the poor journalist. Uh, um, that being said, if I go by my con, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, your con is... Well, you, you could tell that Myra has probably been out in the fields before, but looking at her, due to her age and the condition of her face, you're not entirely certain whether she will whether she has experience with the kind of environment you're about to go to okay um in that case i'm going to kindly suggest some calisthenic exercises for them to engage in during the voyage during the voyage very well very well um and myra would actually would she, where we are, possibly be able to go and buy expedition gear, but like fancy? Um, you know how I described her as she always wears like a yeah. sundress to. So you want you want so something colourful? Like I want yeah, you want yeah, colourful, fashionable. fashionable expedition gear. Uh, yeah. Very well. Um. You may make a credit rating check, please. Credit rating, okay. This is a 50-50. Uh, where's my good dice? That one, and that one. Let's see how you're treating me tonight. That's a nine. That is... Um, yeah, that's really good. That's an extreme pass. <laughs> um, a after you bid farewell to everyone, you climb into your car, and you head into downtown Arkham and browse all of the outfitters on the high street and you spend the next two hours getting fitted with various articles of clothing and assembling a wardrobe of expedition gear that suits your tastes and this ends up costing you altogether three hundred dollars okay. so you will only settle for the best okay so do i take that out of assets do you have any How does cash? This... I have 250 cash. Oh yeah, so you could take... Oh, we'll just say you managed to haggle it down to 250. Okay. So does that mean I have zero cash now for the rest of the yes. session? Or... Yes, okay, until cool. you can get assets in the next, at the end of the mm. session. Um, okay, cool. So, please describe what Myra's perfect expedition outfit looks like, so I'm curious. <laughs> well, it's... Um... Fuck, I didn't get this far into the whole planning of the... Uh, okay. <laughs> She's got... Let's see, what colour... Uh, it's a... Pink-ish? Like, overcoat type thing? You know how, like, the jackets and the pants are, like, big puffy things? They're pink, but yep. they also have, like, blue-lined highlights. Like, but, like, royal blue, so that stands out. Um, she's... The hood is just far too fluffy. It's almost <laughs> as if someone's just sewn whole fluffy rabbits around the hood. <laughs> uh, um, the boots are blindingly orange that fade to a pale orange up top, so it almost blends into the pants. And then she has those, like... Uh, snowboarding goggles that are like, you know how 
they're like rainbow when they the light hits them. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, and that covers up most of her face when well, she wears it. Most... And the gloves are just hot pink. Yeah, they're hot pink. Well, yeah. it looks outlandish to the others, but most importantly, it's what Myra is comfortable wearing. And so while you are wearing it, you will be allowed to re-roll any one climb, jump, or swim roll. Huh. Uh, where's my call of the book? Uh, there it is, okay. Uh... Or climb, jump, survival, or swim. Any, any physical outdoor skill, you may re-roll any one skill. One okay, per uh, session while wearing this. Myra may re-roll any one. one uh, so, um, any jump. one, any one outdoor skill. So, it'd be jump, climb, Anywhere. survival, or swim. You may do this once per session while wearing it. Very Thank well. Thank you. Uh, would yeah. anyone, does anyone else have any last-minute preparations they'd like uh, to make? Yeah, I think I figured it's something I should probably do before I yes, leave the and whatnot. Uh, I'm obviously going to have to head back to the office and let the uh, people there know that I'm about to leave. <laughs> the, the editor just... The editor just smiles and he flashes you a thumbs up and he says, Go get him, Tiger! You're my new rising star! Yeah, <laughs> I flash him a smile and like hold up both the cameras going, Yeah, hopefully uh, <laughs> this one won't be as, co as costly as the last voyage. <laughs> he says, Yeah, take two this time. Nice thinking. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm going to go get some supplies that I think might have been overlooked by whoever's funding this expedition. Yep, what would you like to get? Um, I would like to get mosquito nets. Mm -hmm. Because Arctic mosquitoes are a thing and are rather they large do. and terrifying. Yes. Oh. Are they? Oh, yeah, well, they I just learned something. Yeah. Oh, it's a... <laughs> Great, so nowhere is safe from goddamn mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Arctic mosquito is quite often considered the state bird of Alaska. Yeah, what it, the hell? they love the moisture. <laughs> I don't know if you're, like, being sarcastic or not. I'm actually looking this up. <laughs> I, Go ahead. I, 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 I take his word for it. That just sounds horrifying. Um, and stuff That's, like... If you type in State Bird of Alaska, Mosquito is the second most... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. What did you learn on this in this program? Yeah, they are rather nasty. They're quite big, so... I'd like to get mosquito netting, uh, probably insect repellent too, I would imagine. Yeah, well, what yeah. passes for insect repellent in yes, the 1920s? <laughs> Basically um, just noxious smelling crap in a bottle that you spray on yourself. Um, some flares and most importantly, whiskey. Yes. So, <laughs> I would like you to first of all make a credit rating credit rating roll please to acquire all of the non-whiskey stuff um uh the rolling method was yeah try to get under your skill 1d100 no 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 no, no. on the actual interface it's oh yeah yeah it's it's uh exclamation mark roll mark space roll 
1D100. Yeah. Or you can go exclamation mark D100. Oh, or that too, yes. Yeah. Ah, uh, that is pale. You may push it if you like. Oh, why not? Uh, uh. Alright, that is pass. So you're able to acquire mosquito netting, at least enough for, say, ten people to be outdoors at a time, and some bottles of what you're told is insect repellent, and the other, you know, some other gen general supplies, some extra ropes, uh, flares, a portable first aid kit and the like, and all of this will cost $50. Sure, I will buy that. Now, in order to find some whiskey, as it is prohibition, I'd like you to please describe <laughs> how you will be... What method of uh, inquiry are you going to use to try to find a source of whiskey? Uh, I'm basically going to talk to some of my richer family members um, from the, you know, plantation yeah. owning. Uh, yep. To see if I can, you know, have... Because it's not illegal in Greenland, so have no, them meet me, not. like, have some waiting there for me. Very well. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, no role required for that. You make a phone call to some members of your family, and you get in touch with your father, and by this point in your life, he's quite well resigned to having to fund all of your... Uh, journeys around the world he's been doing it for years and so after, i was gonna say look yep he was gonna say if he, if he didn't want to he should have had me first then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after like 10 minutes of trying to explain to him what you want it for he just sighs and he says oh very well i'll have some whiskey waiting for you in there i have some whiskey waiting for you uh, when you arrive at the expedition. You will owe me later. I'll tell you how much it costs. Dad. I thank him and continue on. <laughs> <laughs> and so, a few hours later, just shy of 7.30 as the sun starts to go down and Arkham is lit with gas lamps and gas lamps and street lights and all the windows of the downtown businesses are lit up in bright yellow. You assemble uh, at the you assemble on the end of a concrete jetty at Arkham Harbor, uh, where a large freighter that look like looks like it's seen quite a few years of use uh, bobs in the inky black water, and you can just make out the word Darlena printed in white capital letters on its hull. As you approach it, you see Professor Matheson, and standing behind him are some people you haven't seen before. First of all, there is a man who looks to be around 24 or 25, with vibrant red hair and a bushy red beard, uh, dressed in the telltale uh, garb of an academic wearing a knitted vest that pretty much matches Matheson's and is wearing corduroy pants and has a uh, 
and has a uh, trilby hat uh, wedged over the red bird's nest that it is his hair. Beside him is a man of roughly 50 or 60 with a long white beard uh, wearing a captain's hat. And behind him, you see a group of maybe uh, nine or ten people wearing clothing that uh, immediately gives them away as sailors or workers or labourers. And they're just uh, roughhousing amongst each other and loudly talking. Professor Matheson waves at you and he says, Ah, ah, just in time, just in time. He says, Uh... You'll see the crew assembled. Uh, we have the la- last-minute addition to our voyage. He gestures to the red-haired man who steps forward, holds out his hand, and says, uh, Terence Buell, uh, pleased to meet you. Does anyone shake his hand? Yeah, oh, Mara walks up and... You'll shake you'll shake his hand one at a time. Yeah. Professor Matheson oh. Professor Matheson I, Yep, yep. Um I go over to our provisions and I toss him a pair of hiking boots. <laughs> he looks down at him and he shrugs and he says, Uh, what's this for? Wear him now and you'll thank me later. And he says, Okay, I'll uh, make sure to uh thank you for that if I have to. Uh, if it ends up doing any good for me, and he chuckles, and Professor Matheson smiles, and he says, uh, Terence Buell uh, is from the University of Toronto. He's a graduate student there, and I asked him if he'd like to be part of this expedition several weeks ago. He just arrived in Arkham today. Uh, he's quite young, but he's already garnered a certain amount of Blame for his work among the Indians and Eskimos of Canada's east coast. He's he he knows pretty much more about Eskimo folklore and religion than anyone else that I could think of, and I thought he would be invaluable to the expedition. Well, I'm pleased to be along, says Terence. And as he shakes your hand, I would like each of you to make a spot hidden check, please. Uh, that's nice, oh, I think. Best, that's, that's a... Oh, it's just a regular pass. Uh, that's a normal pass for me. It's a failure from myself. Yep. Oh, no. It's a failure. I'm looking for spiders instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, damn it. D100. That would have been a pass if it was you. one less decimal, though. Yep, that's a pass. <laughs> um, okay, so... That is... Yeah, so for so Archibald, Mike, and Myra, as you shake Terence Buell's head, you can't help but notice, visible even under the dim uh, gas lamps that light the harbour, his hand is covered in a very thin layer of fine red hair. To you, ginger boys. Um, it's the 1920s. Some people don't shave enough, and I'm not going to call attention. You don't. So. You're going to be polite <laughs> and not say anything. Think, look, even I was going to say, even even after, even after the last time, I'm not. Uh, that's stuff like that. That's the same as what that guy from the town 
Yes, except he, yeah. except he had the face. He had facial features resembling an ape or something, whereas Terence Fuel looks just like a normal guy. He just has a. What were they called again? Sorry, the Hyperboreans. Hyperboreans. Uh, as I shake his hand, I go. You don't suppose that we'll come across any Hyperboreans on this investigation, do you? He looks at you and he says, "Hyper, what? Uh, sorry, I don't know anything about that." And then you notice he quickly shoves both of his hands into his pockets. However, I would like you, Myra, to please make a psychology check. Did I put any psychology in this one? No. Let's see how good these dice are going to go for me. At some, at some point, we really need to make sure we have the <laughs> It's like driving auto. We really, really should consider those options. I'm going to push it. Uh, oh, uh, um, I'm going to spend seven luck to make that a pass. Yep. Ooh. So Just while, because I can. While Terence doesn't appear to actually know what you're talking about, he just looks back at you with a puzzled look on his face, you can't help but notice that Professor Matheson's eyes go wide as you say the word hyperborean, and then he quickly looks away as if trying to hide his reaction from you. Um. Well, you don't think we'll come across any Hyperboreans then, do you, Professor? He looks at you and... He says, Well, uh, well, they're a myth, aren't they? So, uh, uh, well, you could say that I certainly do not expect to. Well, you know what they say, all forms of myth and superstition come from somewhere. And I happen to know that uh, this myth has a bit more truth than most. He nods and he just says, Oh, well, myself, I prefer to uh, respect what science could tell us. He says, Well, it's about time to leave. I'll introduce you to the captain. He gestures to the man behind him wearing the captain's hat. The captain just raises a hand and says, Klaus Vorheim at your service. He gestures towards the rough-housing people behind him. He says, These are my sailors. Also, we have uh, three French mountaineers who will be coming along to assist the expedition. The men behind him all salute and wave at you. He uh, clears... they... yep. Is there any chance that, considering I'm assuming the world of mountaineering in the 1920s was particularly huge, that I would have... Um been on any expeditions or hikes with any of these men. Make an education check, please. Aha! I actually have an education. And that is a hard success, or a big success. You, your gaze passes over the crew, first over the sailors and then over the three Frenchmen who are described as mountaineers, and you feel a tinge of worry as you do not recognise these men. I walk up and casually start to make conversation and go, ah, French Mountaineers, hey, you have some stories to tell. Please make a survival check. Uh, ooh, one above. You can spend luck or you can push it if you like. Mm, I'll, say, I'll spend a single point of luck. Yep. So as, uh, as the captain assists uh, Professor Matheson and Buell to... Uh, get the gangplank down and start uh, 
getting everyone on board the ship, you strike up some conversation with these three men and tell them some stories of expeditions you've been on and to listen as they tell you some of their own stories and it's hard to understand them through their thick French accent but you get the impression that they are very very new at this and can only account for a single expedition they've been on before. In fact, what you're able to glean is that uh, they're not mountaineers by profession at all, rather they are sailors who simply happened to be on hand when some light mountaineering needed to be done, and as they proved adequate at it, uh, ended up being uh, essentially forced to be the mountaineers of the crew. Alright, well considering the size of the party that I'm supposed to be guiding up these mountains just doubled, I may like to have a conversation later with the benefactor about renegotiating my price. Yes, that's probably a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> so, you are led aboard the Darlena. The Darlena is a small freighter which has been rigged with cranes, winches and drilling equipment uh, for geological research. You find the ship to be crowded. There's gear, samples and supplies crowding the deck. The hallways below deck you have to squeeze past wooden crates and shelves that are just sitting there. The crew doesn't have any uh, method of organisation at all and has just stashed their equipment wherever they can. Space is at a premium and once you've all stashed your equipment... Uh, you find that the living quarters are less than you had hoped for. Only three small two-man cabins are available for guests. Matheson and Buell immediately claim one of them, and as you watch Matheson, uh, to, as you watch Matheson unpack his stuff, you notice that he starts to unpack out of a large canvas bag a quite large selection of various hardback books. He just stacks them on top of the uh, plastic table in his cabin and then starts to arrange them according to subject and author. And with a flourish, he gestures towards them and he says, I thought uh, since we have seven days on the ship, it might uh, be useful to have a library uh, to consult uh, of well, it's not uh, anything like the Orn Library back on campus, of course, but if you'd like to brush up on your archaeology, geology, or anything like that, uh, please feel free to peruse it at your leisure. Another two-man cabin is quickly... Uh, leaving, t leaving two two-man cabins left. Uh, so how would you like to... How would you like to divvy up the scant uh, living quarters amongst yourselves? Mira just oh. walks into the nearest one. She doesn't care who she gets. Yep, just walks in, places her bag down on the bottom bunk, and just just lies uh, down on the bed. How big is the vessel? It's quite large, but it's a freighter. It's not designed to transport guests, and so aside from the aside from the crew quarters. Uh, on the deck above that are being occupied by the three mountaineers, the sailors and the captain, these 
three tiny taverns appear to be all the living, all there is in the way of living quarters for guests. Okay, so how many of us are there and how many cabins do we have? So there's, a, there's five of you and there is essentially only room for four people in these two taverns, so someone's going to have to go without a bed. Um, oh, how difficult... Actually, um, I'd like to just uh, pull the canvas of my tent out um, and then some rope and rig up a, a um, hammock in one of the rooms, the bigger of the two. So yeah, you don't take any bed, uh, which means that the other four are able to claim a bunk for each of you, and well, you won't, it's, it's definitely not luxurious, it's probably going to be a very uncomfortable journey, but at the very yeah. least, you'll have a proper yeah. bed. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, once your, once your living quarters are claimed, Professor Matheson yawns and he says, well... Uh, myself and Buell are going to hit the hay. Uh, you should get as much sleep as you can. I doubt we'll have much mm. chance for it when we arrive in Greenland. And you've all settled down for your first night on the ship. As... And one of the benefits of a, yes, a hammock of... is that the rocking is somewhat yeah, counteracted by you the... into... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to lull you into... It's going to lull you to sleep, um, the rocking of the sea. Um, you hear the sound of a foghorn and the captain of the sailors get to work and the ship starts to slowly rock as it sails out of Arkham Harbour and into the inky blackness of the open sea. I would like Myra and Mike Moxley to please make con checks as yeah. travelling on a ship is not something that you have a lot of experience with. Yeah. Uh, can I push it? You can push it. Oh, but if I push it and fail, does that mean it's going to be worse? Yes, but I it is only seasickness. You're not going to die. Yeah, as I say, I just barely scraped through on the push. Okay, push it. Oh, and there's a hard pass. Woo! Yeah, so the calisthenics exercises that Victor Carisberg prescribed and that combined with wearing the hiking shoes seems to have made uh, some some difference in uh, some difference in that you're able to stave off uh, what starts uh, for the first night and a bit of the first morning as minor nausea uh, you're able to stave off full seasickness and gather your sea legs quite quickly and are able to move freely about the ship just like everyone else and next time you see uh, Victor you just uh, nod in thanks telling him that the exercises he prescribed uh, somehow managed to stave off seasickness. I mean, I kind of want to interview him at some point anyway, so I can just put those two together. Yep. Well, you have seven days mm. at sea, and mm. so you have many things you may do to prepare uh, for when you arrive in Greenland. You may simply, if you like, you may simply relax for the seven days and try to, you know prepare for what's to come. You may consult Professor Matheson's curated library and brush up on uh, anything that might be, anything that you think might be handy to know. You could study details about the expedition and 
where it is and details like that, or you can go ahead and interview members of the crew or Victor if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, what subjects does he have books on? Um, like... I'd like you to make a library use check, please. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go last because mine might take a minute. Uh, I'm going to push that because that was a 98. Gee, I forgot how to use English. And then that was 77, so I fail. I, I... <laughs> There's um, a lot of paper here. Yeah, he's got a lot of books here, and it'll take some time to go through them, but a handful of the topics that are included are anthropology, archaeology, astronomy, natural world, and uh, Norse... Uh, Norse runes. Um, can I study Norse, please? Norse. Uh, very well. Please make an intelligence check. Uh, oh, jeez, that's an eight. So that's uh, that's an extreme pass. Yes, an extreme pass. So you spend the majority of the voyage uh, going through all of the books about Norse mythology and Norse runes that you can find. And this is something that, although you have some measure of expertise in it, it's it's not something that you've ever had the chance to read academic works on. And so you end up increasing your knowledge and proficiency uh, by quite a reasonable amount. So you may add uh, 1d10 uh, skill points to your Norse skill. Okay, come on. Roll high again. Seven. I'll take Seven. that. Very well. Nice. Um, okay, uh, so that's what you're doing for most of the voyage. Uh, what would any? What would everyone else like to do? Uh, well, I've just basically got time to kill, so I'm just going to... Walk up to the library, close my eyes, grab a book, and just spend the week in my bunk reading it. Yep, any, in my in my any, um hammock. Any um any topic in particular that you'd like to look no, for? I, I literally grab up, a book. I literally walk up to his pile of books, grab one, close my eyes, look away, grab one, and then walk to the. Yep, <laughs> you you see Myra like cataloging the books, trying to decide what she wants to read, and then you just walk in grab one off the top of the pile, nod at her and walk out again. I'd like you to please roll a d6. A d6? Yep. Cool. Uh, one. One, okay. Uh, please make an intelligence check. Uh, hard pass. Okay. You... Grab the book at random, take it back to your hammock and spend most of the voyage devouring this one book from cover to cover. It ends up being a book about natural world. If you have the natural world skill, you may add 1d10 skill points to it. If you don't have it, you may just simply increase it by 10. Natural world. N, 1d10. Uh. <laughs> One. All right. Oh, well, 
Uh, evidently, it wasn't that interesting, but there's not a lot to do on the ship, so... <laughs> yeah. I imagine at some point you're just looking on him and his uh, idea of reading, he's just asleep with a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just lying yeah. back in, just like, yeah. Yeah, you oh, check okay. in. Myra walks past the cabin at one point and she just pokes her head in to ask whether the book's interesting or not. You're just there in the hammock going... <sighs> With the book it's like covering my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, Mike Moxley, Arkansas, Archibald, how would you like to spend the voyage? Uh, there's a few uh, few days of uh, providing entertaining whip shows up on the up on deck. Yes, yeah, very well. Uh, I would like you to please make a slight of hand check. Uh, that is a fail. That is a fail. Uh, you, you, you're not going to push it? Um, you know what? That's, uh, 16, so I'm going to use six, six points of luck to, uh, to make that a path. Yep. <laughs> so you fancied yourself for a while to be something of a showman, and you spend... Every day, as soon as you get up, eat breakfast, you head up to deck and you perform some acrobatics with your whip, lassoing pieces of furniture and juggling your whip from one hand to the other. Uh, at one point, you lasso a um, bottle of beer out of one of the sailor's hands, pull it over, take a swig from it, and then hurl it back to him with the same whip and... At first, it's tough, you haven't practiced in a while, you drop your whip a few times, you nearly trip yourself over, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. And so, uh, you, and at the, at, by the end of the voyage, the crew seem to have accepted you as a friend, or at least when you start performing, they all gather around, drinking, making merry while they watch you, and this is a boost to your ego, it gets you psyched up for the expedition to come. <laughs> And so the next sand check you make, you may make with advantage. Yay! I, have, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Moxley and Archibald, how would you like to spend the voyage? Archibald's probably just going to polish his pith helmet. Oh, I've got another idea. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well... Mike, Mike yeah. go first. Mike go first, sure? alright. Mike Moxley, uh, yep. Fine. Pretty much planning on uh, interviewing like the main people in our uh, in, in this uh, expedition, namely um, the redhead guy whose name I've already Ah, yes, Terence Buell. Yes, and obviously our uh, newer members. Yes. On this expedition. Um. So after lunch, or after lunch, one of the days, you see Terence Buell walking off on his own, and usually he and Matheson are always together. You never see them apart, but you happen to have some good luck this day, as after you finish your meal and stand up, you see Buell heading out onto the deck alone, and rather than joining Matheson below deck, you see him just uh, walk over to the railing and lean up against it and decide to watch the ocean for a bit. And so you, you take advantage of this opportunity, and you go up to him, and you tip your hat, he looks over at you and he says, Oh, hey there, uh, uh Mike Marksley, was it? 
he holds out his hand again and once yeah. again in the full daylight uh you can't help but notice that it's covered in a layer of very fine red hair hmm. yeah i'll take his hand and go yeah that the uh, yeah it's me uh, look um i haven't caught you at, like a bad time or something i just wanted to ask you a couple of questions is all he says no 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 just taking a break from the research with uh Matheson and thinking about what's to come, you know. Yeah, you seem pretty close, but uh, I just uh, want to ask you, uh, what was your take on this particular expedition? I'd like you to make a charm check, please. Uh, I, I assume I have charm. I have some charm. Not great, and I'm going to have to push that because Naughty Two's not going to goddamn cut it. <laughs> I was hoping more for persuade than that, but uh, you know, it is what it is. That is. That is just on 30, so that's yep. exactly what Pass. I need. He looks at you and he says, Well, you know, I, I've studied the Eskimos for most of my academic career, and, uh, well, you know, I read about, I read about this uh, stone that they found in the ocean, and, uh, well, you know, Matheson, I used to, you know, I used to write to him quite a lot back when I was an undergrad, and he, uh, you know, he would often humor me ideas, and so he remembered me remembered me name and contacted me about, about this expedition, and, you know, I'm quite curious to see this stone for myself, because, well, he hesitates for a moment and says, well, let's just say I've got my own ideas about what exactly it is, but the professor seems to think it's something related to that some dig or something or other that he had a month ago, but, well, there's something else that's been bothering me, and I think that this expedition's going to provide the answers I've been looking for. Oh. So, just sort of like, uh, looks up and goes, uh, look, I, I, I suppose you, uh, I'm always interested in hearing a, uh, other perspective on a problem. I don't suppose you want to, uh, Pull me in on what your thoughts on this is. Mm. Please make a persuade check with advantage. Hey. chance, and that is a pass. He thinks for a moment. He says, "Well, look, I'd look, I'm happy." Oh, before I was gonna say, before he yep. starts to say, "Look, if it's like a personal thing, I'm more than happy to put the pen away for a moment." But uh, you know, just just so I can cover all my bases. He laughs and he says, "Personal? Well, no, I don't think so. At least." Well, I won't get into that, but look, it's known amongst uh, several members of several circles I work in that I've got something of a knack for hunches. At certain mm -hmm. times, for no apparent reason, uh, I experience, you know, these flashes of intuition regarding certain behavior patterns that I observed among the Indians and the Eskimos that I've studied. Uh, well, and following these hunches with scientific research uh, proves them accurate more often than not, you see. And so, the more and more this happened, the more I came to believe that, you know, I had some sort of intuitive understanding of these cultures. Uh, well, it's like, it's a strange feeling, he thinks for a moment, he says. Not sure how to articulate it, but... I began to feel that their culture had somehow been influenced by one which predated theirs. Uh, 
which may have been more sophisticated than the Stone Age Eskimos. And so I've dedicated my life to basically finding out anything I can about the Eskimos and their mythology, and anything that might help me learn about this civilization that may have predated them. And, you know, hopefully at the same time, maybe come to understand why I have such an intuitive understanding of them. Hmm. It's weird, you know, that uh, particular dig you mentioned with, uh, what's his name, Matheson. Manning. Oh, part of that, oh, Manning. No, Matt, no, I was going to say Matt, wait, is he with Manning or Matheson? Matt, oh, he, oh, the, the hmm. last dig you were on, or... Or yeah, the, know, the guy I know Manning was the guy. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, Matheson. I know Matheson. Manning was the guy in charge of the last one, but I know Matheson was in charge of him. Yeah, no, no, Matheson. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that. That last dig we were on, they had something similar about it as well. You know, ancient weird civilization on top of what they already thought. So I mean, there could be a connection there. You never know. He smiles. He says, "Yeah, I tried to ask Matheson about that, but he uh, was a bit tight-lipped." Yeah, I can't imagine why that might have been. He says, I'm just hoping out. I might see something from myself this time. You don't get out much? He says, well, n no, let's just say, you know, I'm, a, I'm only a graduate student. I don't often get invited out to the field. Most of my studies secondhand, reading old papers and looking at artifacts that have already been brought in, you know. And, mm. well, I'm just thankful to Matheson that he, he saw fit to invite me along on this one. Well, hopefully it's a little less exciting than the, uh, <laughs> the last one, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you'll see plenty. Well, I won't take many more of your time, so uh, I, I got other people to go and poke around. But, he uh, says, thanks, thanks for mm -hmm. As you walk off, he says, hey, you're a, you're a journalist, a reporter or something, aren't you? Yeah, that's me. He says, well, look, if you're looking into this and I find anything, when I get back to Toronto, uh, I'll see if I can maybe get... Uh, permission to have you come down and, you know, uh, report on my findings or whatever I glean. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I can run that by the office. I'm sure they'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, get me out there for the, for the especially if it helps uh, advertise the paper. Buell smiles and he says, well, I'll, uh, I'll remember your name. Uh, hopefully we'll actually <laughs> find something this time that we'll be able to write about, eh? Yeah, <laughs> just sort of chuckles off and looks off to the side going, yeah, I'm sh I have no doubt we will. Ah, <laughs> uh, Archibald, is there anything you, uh, how would you like to spend the voyage? Oh, yes, I have an idea. <laughs> yep. Oh, I have yeah, mechanical repair skill. So, um, it's broken, would it broken. be possible to... Uh, can I look around to see if anyone's got, like, a sharpened tool or anything like that? Like, a, a knife, perhaps? Oh, yeah, there are, there are going to be plenty of... There's, you can easily find a knife on board. You don't have to roll for oh, that. beautiful. You can just head up to the uh, mess hall and grab a knife out of the kitchen. And... What I'm hoping to do is, if I can use the camera repair skill, I'd like to combine my plinth helmet, my rifle... <laughs> And my knife, so it becomes like an extendable, deployable shield when okay. I take it off my hat. Okay. Use it as a bayonet at the end. Uh, yeah. What? Please make uh, a mech 
Please make a mechanical repair chip. Guys, I will draw this up in the chat later. Oh, please do, because I need to know how they hold that. You, you know it's a good idea when the DM goes, uh, 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 okay. <laughs> we haven't even got it enchanted yet, alright? So, I mean, um. Uh, gotta find an old gypsy woman to enchant you. <laughs> Or an Eskimo. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, or an oh, Eskimo. So go make make a mechanical repair check. Uh, I got sixty. Uh, you can push it if you like. Just, or you can no, spend I luck. Can spend, you can spend 15, luck. You know what? I'm gonna spend fifteen luck to. Really? Okay. So you wow. spend. You spend the seven days of the voyage basically up in the mess hall trying to find a way to combine these three objects that are not meant to be combined. Drawing up blueprints, taping them, um, and whenever anyone sees you, you're just surrounded in junk and rolls of duct tape trying to put it all together. And... Mike comes around the corner at one point with a camera, just looks at it and just goes, nah. <laughs> but somehow, you manage to combine them all together. Uh, so what you do is you have your rifle and you tape, you attach a knife to the end of it as it makes your bayonet so that if push comes to shove, you can stab with your rifle and stab things with the knife. But that's not what you're most proud about. What you're most proud about is that somehow you've managed to make a mechanism and don't ask me how I know because you don't even know. You don't even know how you did it, but um, you've somehow managed to rig up this uh, mechanism to your gun where your pith helmet sits on top of the gun, just ahead of the sights. But if you pull this lever above the trigger, the mechanism activates and slides the pith helmet down in front of the gun so that you can basically hold it in front of you and use it as a mini shield. And, and so, while, you're, you, while you have this, you may, once per session, utilize the mechanism to do a dodge roll with advantage. Nice, thank you. the Dead Rising 2 craft yeah. music. <laughs> 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 um, okay. The idea is I'm going to turn the, uh, the plinth helmet into like a little, like a Kaiser plinth helmet. So the yeah. With a spike on the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that part I got, the knife and the helmet I kind of got, just everything after that just evolved. The yeah. There's like a little hole at the end and the gun yeah. just sort of sits through that as a porthole. Um... <laughs> yeah, alright. Yeah, that's how it is. It's... Yeah. yeah that's there's that's impossible yeah. to aim. <laughs> yeah. You're meant to be looking that's... over to aims covered by a pith helmet. Yeah, that's that's why there's a mechanism. That's why there's a mechanism that slides it out of the way when you need to aim. <laughs> Otherwise you just hold it in front of you. Um So the journey for the most part is uneventful and the voyage takes a week. The conditions on the ship are crowded. Uh, water on the ship is at a premium, there's no showers, and boredom uh, is a bit of a problem. The only thing you could do is occasionally play cards with the crew, or, or read some old magazines you find on board, or in uh, Victor's case, just sleep through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to try to interview him, but it's like, yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm just going to leave him. <laughs> Eventually, 
uh, you arrive at the destination. Um, you're told that the stone was discovered at the head of one of numerous fords lining the east coast of Greenland. It's about halfway between a place called Angmad Salik and Scoresbysund. And you are shown these locations on a map. And on the morning of the eighth day, you, you awaken and are called excitedly above deck by Matheson. And he points, he points over the railings and there on the horizon you can see... Uh, what he says is land, but to you just looks like uh, large, large white jagged rocks poking out of the ocean, the tops of icebergs and glaciers, and a shoreline that is completely buried under snow and frost. It takes about three hours for Captain Klaus to negotiate the twisting fjord back to its head, where the huge rock was reportedly located. Though the fjord is at least a mile wide at all times, you all feel hemmed in by the great walls of ice that rise on either side of the ship. Many icebergs, large and small, float lazily by. As the Darlena rounds a last bend in the waterway, the object of your search suddenly comes into view, a scant 200 yards from the bow the slowly moving freighter. Nothing you have heard so far has prepared you for the sight of this dark grey slab of massive dimensions and alien conception. I'm going to put a picture in the Discord just to inspire your imaginations. During the last three hours, Arkansas quickly tries to wrap up his interview. And we looked over and heard it's clicking. This young, young person we had with us had a guilty look on his face. Next thing I hear rumbling coming from behind me as we turn around and there's giant boulders coming towards us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be right back, sir. Yep. A giant upside down god of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, am I going to get a chance to uh, like, take a picture of it from where we are on the ship? Yeah, Just you can go ahead, back. make a for. Yeah. Like, bust out the tripod and get that rolling. Yeah, make a photography check. It will be with disadvantage because you are on a ship and it's rocking a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was a 55, so that's actually a pass. So. Yep. You set up your tripod and as the great rock edifice comes into view, snap a picture of it. Everyone else gathers around you and you all just stare at the rock. Uh, the crew members are transfixed on it, their mouths hanging agape. At least 300 feet long and over 200 feet high, the Eskimos' estimate was short of the truth. They were correct in the description of the human figure wielding a short, curved sword and bending over a slain animal. The figure is in the centre of the object, but upside down. The whole thing seems to be a wall or, or portion of a greater wall that has been turned and rolled over by the glacier to its present position, poised above the cold sea, upside down, leaning outward a few degrees past vertical. Even upside down, it is obvious that the figure portrayed on the uh, stone is unusual. Uh, if someone has anthropology, please make an anthropology check. Um, nope. I have that. Yeah, go ahead and roll it. 
yeah, it's a hard pass. Yeah. Um, nice. So, there's something odd about this depiction. The clothing that figure is wearing is of a type not known to any culture, past or present. And the facial features, the large, straight nose and the oddly lengthened earlobes give the character a certain alien quality. I would like everybody who is viewing the stone for the first time to please make a sand check. Mm. <laughs> check. Da 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 fell. I don't know why I'm worried. I actually, I have oh, passed by a clear mile. I actually have solid yep. sanity. You passed. Even okay. without the advantage. Even without the advantage. <laughs> yep. So you can use the advantage on the next roll then. Um, okay. So for passing, you lose one sand point. For failing, you lose one d3. And chipping away once again. Yeah. It begins. It begins. <laughs> uh, Mike, Archibald, and Myra, you may make a Cthulhu Mythos check if you like to see if you recognize this figure. <laughs> yeah, roll my big fat two. I have a literally a 2% chance. <laughs> yeah, it's only the start of the campaign, so it won't be too high. But... <laughs> I had to roll a two, I rolled a 99. Of course. <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> I don't know shit. Of course, of course. Um, how did you go, Archibald, or yours? I got a 58. Yeah, no, you you don't recognise this figure, and based on your experiences at the previous dig, the Hyperboreans were depicted as ape-like furry humanoids, so this figure's nothing like that, so you don't know what it is, you just know that there's something disturbing and alien about it. I'm back. Yep. Um, uh, did I miss anything? Uh, just, just a sand check for seeing the uh, seeing the stone oh. come into view. Okay, so I can make a sand check. Yes. Uh, yeah, and a Cthulhu mythos to see if you recognise the figure that's depicted. I put a picture in the chat so you can see what it looks like. Uh, oh, I'm. Failed my sanity, even though I have decent sanity, so yep. what's the loss? So that is a loss of 1d3, as you gaze upon this you gaze upon this edifice with this figure that looks odd and has a certain alien quality to it. I lost two, Sam. And you may make a Cthulhu Mythos roll to see if you recognise the figure depicted. Oh, I'm spending two luck. Two luck, yep. Yeah, because I rolled an eight. <laughs> so... While Mike and Archibald stare at the figure and discuss with you about how it can't be a Hyperborean, because in the last dig you were at, the Hyperboreans were depicted as being furry. This is a clearly a human figure. Um, you realise that something pops into your head from all the reading you've been doing in the last month, and you realise that they might be half correct. This is not the creature that you have come to know as a Hyperborean. However, this is a depiction sometimes given of the mythical culture of Hyperborea. As the mythical creature of Hyperborea. Okay. Mythical culture, as in, culture. This, is, this is a depiction of someone of the Hyperborean culture, but not the creature that you've come to know as a Hyperborean. And this is strange, as this this figure depicted on the stone appears on first glance to just be a normal human. Oh, 
so the ship drifts slowly closer to the uh, to the stone as far as the captain is willing to take it, and then the captain turns around and shouts in a thick German accent, "Anchor, lower anchor!" and the sailors scramble, lowering an anchor that sticks down into the Arctic water, and you hear the crush of ice as the anchor breaks through a small glacier and embeds itself in the permafrost underneath. Matheson, Matheson nods, and uh, then he waves and says, All right, I want two boats uh, out so we can go and investigate that thing up close. Uh... One over on each side, and I think we'll row up to the, uh, rock, if you think that's appropriate, Captain. The Captain nods. The sailors scramble, producing two wooden rowboats from below deck. They lower one out of one side of the ship, and Matheson, a Buell, and the Captain climb aboard as the boat is slowly lowered over the edge. A second boat is placed on the other side of the ship, and... Just before the sailors begin to lower it, they turn over and look at you all. And one of the sailors says in a thick French accent, uh, the, the professor and Buell are going up to have a look. If any of you would like to go, uh, I can lower this boat for you. Uh, I would like to. Uh, yeah, I would be going. Thank you. Who else would like to go, and who would like to stay on ship, if anybody? Well, uh, it's an opportunity to get a... Uh... Yeah, you've already taken a photo, so you don't necessarily need to go close if you don't want to, Mike. No, I might just uh, take pictures of them, like, uh... The... Oh, pictures of them in the boat going up to it. Yep. Yeah, more yeah. Like, yeah, more like just, yeah. No, I meant more like as they're, like, getting ready to disembark, I'll just take yep. pictures of that, and then just sort of stay in... Compare notes and whatnot yep. as I go. So Arkansas, uh, Archibald, and Victor, would you like to go up and get a closer look at the wall? There's potential photos for a story. I am definitely going. Yes, add archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I might just stick here and see if I can get more shots of around the area. Yep, Myra, you gonna go in, go and have a look? Uh, yes. So, Myra, Archibald, uh, Victor, and Arkansas climb into the boat, and as the boat is slowly lowered over the side of the ship into the freezing water below, um, Mike snaps a few photos. Uh, make a photography check, please, Mike. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to have to duck out for a couple of minutes just to feed animals. Yep, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Ooh, that is a hard pass. You guys are looking good. Yeah, you're looking good. You you <laughs> snap a photo that you could tell immediately is front page material as of them waving at you just before their faces are obscured yeah. by the side of the ship as they're lowered down into yeah, the that's... water with a loud splash. Yeah, it just mumbles to himself going, yeah, that'll be the sub, uh, that'll be the sub photo. Okay, here's the part that you might not have banked on. You're in the boat. Um, it's bobbing in the water. There are two oars there. Who would like to row it up to the wall? <laughs> so you may either make a hard strength check or you may make a uh, drive boat check. 
down and puts on her best I'm a dainty lady very well looks like it's going to be Archibald or Arkansas then I can sort of do his best to make it look like he's busy and preoccupied. Yeah, getting so, his yeah. whip and back, going through his backpack. Make it look like he's very busy, like, doing some uh, archaeology-style stuff. So that leaves Archibald. Uh, Archibald, please make a strength check. Ooh. Right. Here we go, boys. It's a who's who. Ooh. That was terrible. What'd you get? You're gonna have to push that. No. Yeah. Oh, close. Alright, let's do this. Actually, I use my plinth helmet to double the amount of strength. No, no, no. <laughs> There's only so many I use my plinth helmet. You can't even use the helmet, it's got a hole in it now. There's yeah. no way to be able to use it for anything. Yeah, you have to use the oars. Go ahead and push. You have to put a blade capstone on it. Okay, I'll allow you. I'll allow you to use it as a kind of anchor on one of the oars. Go ahead and make your next strength check with advantage. Come on. Is, you roll again because oh, it's, okay. it's with advantage, so you get one more chance. <laughs> Twenty-two. Oh, you got it. Hard. Yeah, that is a hard. Um. Please, please to describe in full graphic detail what this looks like. Yes, please describe in full detail how you are using your plinth helmet to assist in rowing the boat. The other is that plinth helmet, when attached to the end of the oar, sort of doubles the amount of capacity. It requires a bit more energy, but at the same time, it drags significant larger body of water because the surface area across that ore is now typically double. Um, now that I've got real... that... Sorry, not, yeah. not, to cut, not to cut you off midstream, but how does that work considering you need two oars to row a rowboat? We're going also uh, one way than the other. Yeah. <laughs> he has to row one oar at a time. He has to row the right oar and then swap it to the left oar. And... Left oar, switch over, right oar, switch over. <laughs> so you spent twice as much energy switching oars. Yeah, fine. This is great. This is how we do it. Stands on the rowboat and goes like gondola style, just in the middle, just swapping as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> And so as he does this, you see the other rowboat with Buell uh, rowing it uh, quite professionally. Just and it's gaining; it's much faster than you, and it gets to the uh, wall in the water a full five or so minutes before you get there. And when you finally arrive, Matheson and Buell call out to you, and Matheson says, "You're having a having a nice time rowing there. Quite an interesting method you've got there, Archibald." <laughs> and Buell, Buell calls out and says, oh, I was a champion rower in my undergrad years and I've never even heard anything about that method. Ah, it's a fashionable plinth helmet. <laughs> I got it back in the war. Might as well put it to good use. <laughs> so, 
from a distance, oh. it appeared. From a distance, it appeared that the wall was one solid piece of rock. But now that you're closer and are able to inspect it uh, up close, it is found to be comprised of several individual blocks that appear to be fused together in some way. The blocks themselves are of mammoth proportion, each measuring nearly ten or twenty feet. The individual blocks are covered with distinctive hieroglyphics that vaguely resemble Norse, but at the same time are also something entirely different. The top of the inverted slab reaches nearly as high as the glacier behind it, and the wall forms almost the entire head of the slowly moving mass of ice. From above, ice melted by the sun-warped stone forms a constant rainfall that dampens the clothing of anyone who spends too much time around the stone. Now that you're up close, is there anything in particular you would like to look at? You said it resembled Norse. Can if I know Norse, can I? Like, yeah, read did it? it or? You could try. Uh, I would like to try as well. Yep, that go ahead. It's a forty-one, so yep, I passed. And, yep, Myra, you may also make a Norse check. Uh, that's... I also got 41, which is a whole <laughs> So, you both... You both stand on the edge of the boat to trace your fingers along the runes, and you determine that although this language is at least 50% uh, unknown runes, there are a couple here and there that seem very similar or identical to Norse runes. It's not enough to glean any meaning just from a cursory glance like this, but you do determine that once rubbings have been made of the of the stone, uh, and you've got some time to actually look at them, you have enough familiar familiarity with the runes that you'll probably be able to translate what's written on the stone. Um, is the stone? actually upside down like in the picture yes it appears to be you you assume it's upside down because the image is upside down and the runes am i looking at the runes down. upside down like am I, yeah am I you actually are looking yeah at the yeah, you can, down? Okay. yeah but when <laughs> and that's also a reason why you can't translate it right now because rubbings will need to be made so they can turn the right way up to be easier yep. to read okay Cool, because I'm not having another situation where I mishear something or miss yeah, something. Yeah, like, the runes are on the back of the damn totem. <laughs> is, there, is there anything else that anyone would like to look at while you're this close to the stone? Um, after looking at the big runes, can I look around and see if there's any, like, smaller runes? Uh, around any of the major parts of the stone, like near the picture, near the edges. Yes, please make a spot hidden check. Uh, what is my spot hidden? Uh, spot hidden is 40, that was a 43. I'm running really low on luck. Uh, Got a 7. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to push it. <laughs> Oh, that looks like Smithy's character. Hey, that's an all pass. Yeah. Yep. You <laughs> right. stand. Right. Yep. You stand on the tip of the boat and you examine the rock. 
trying to see if the runes you can see are the only ones in the field, or if there are others. And while there do not appear to be any smaller runes, you do notice some carvings that would not have been visible at a distance, and most notably, under one line of runes, there appears to be a carving about the size of the palm of your hand. At first, it seems to be of a polar bear standing on a block of ice, but then you notice the polar bear has six legs. Oh, that's concerning. Please make a sand check. Yeah, I was waiting for it. Uh, fuck off, that's a 93, so it's a fail. Yep, that is a sand loss of one. Do you point this out to anyone else? <laughs> hey, who wants to lose a sand? Yeah, I'll point that to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Y'all want to see something? <laughs> so, Myra points out this strange carving of what appears to be a six-legged polar bear. And you notice that the carving, in the carving, the polar bear has its head turned so that it is looking out at the reader. And even though it's only an image etched into the stone, its eyes pierce you. It feels like this creature, this six-legged polar bear, is staring right back at you. It knows you're looking at it. So I would like everyone else to please make a sand check. Hey, the six-legged polar bear is looking at us. <laughs> Except that for is... Mike, because Mike's not here. He's yeah. back on the ship. Uh, that... Everyone else is freaking the fuck out. Mike's just... That's a pass from me. Yep. I got a pass. So for passing, that is a sand loss of zero. Um, Can I do just a normal occult check to see if this has popped up anywhere in my occult studies? Yes, you may. Uh, I'm going to push that, because my dice have now decided they really like the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a good decade. Uh, and that is a normal pass. Normal pass, okay. You think about some occult uh, books you've read and some ancient myths, and there are a couple of myths where things that well, not being described as a six-legged polar bear exactly. Things that resemble this carving do show up, usually as some sort of demon that haunts the Arctic wastes and can be repelled with fire. Okay. And now that I have that knowledge, can I make a Cthulhu Mythos check? Yes, you may. Go ahead and make a Cthulhu Mythos check. Come on, lower than a six. Nope, that's 29. I'm going to yep. push it, because may as well. Oh, I saw one zero then and then realized that was not the correct <laughs> zero. Uh, no, 30, so that's a fail. Yeah, that's a fail. Yeah, um, there's no doubt that this is something that's related to what you've seen previously, but you have no idea what it is. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to tell the others. Uh, this... Uh, does pop up in some occult myths and refers to as a demon that haunts the arctic wastes uh, according to the myths it can be repelled with fire but why it's on this I have no idea would Victor Karasberg like to do anything um 
in relation to this or just in relation in to this or you've, you're right up close at the wall now so you can if there's anything any close inspection you'd like to do of it you can get that done now not really this isn't sort of my yeah. part of the expedition do you have natural world uh, uh, I can sort of no, no, oh. yes I do Okay. Uh, in fact, I have an additional point in national. Yeah. National uh, so, <laughs> Victor and Arkansas, both of you, if you would like to examine this rock and see if you can actually identify what type of rock it is, you can make a natural world check. Um, a 34, so that's a pass for me. Yep. Uh, can I put that? Uh, yes, you can. Uh, uh, that is a pass. <laughs> you. I'm more for as, as Myra sits down, you stand up and look at the rock and Arkansas pulls out a little knife that scratches a piece of it away. And then you and... It should be mostly granite around here. Yes, you're expecting it to be granite. And you look at it and it's not granite. In fact, you cannot identify the type of rock at all. Um, what sort of characteristics does it have? What does it, it's... what would it look like the closest yeah. to? It looks, it's quite, it's very hard. It's very hard, and inside it is almost pitch black. And the closest thing you can think of is some kind of onyx or obsidian, maybe, but it's nothing like those. Obsidian is more glassy, and onyx is quite yeah. brittle compared to this rock. This is unlike anything you've seen before. Hmm. I would like the two of you to make sand checks, please. Uh, it's a fail for me. 24, so it's a pass. So for pass, that's a sand loss of 1. For a fail, that's a sand loss of 1d3. You've given me advantage on sand checks, and I've got pass it first time every time so far. <laughs> <laughs> and as you hold the chunk of rock in your hands, it feels oddly warm, even though it's been submerged in Arctic water and currently has a glacier hanging over it, dripping freezing cold water down upon you. And there's just something not right to how it feels warm, its composition, and just in spite of yourself, you find yourself feeling unnerved and you can't quite put your finger on why. Well, Have I taken a chunk of it, or is it just yeah, like... Yeah, you've, you've just got a chunk of it. That you've I'm going to just keep that with me for the moment. Um, yep. Before he puts it away, do I see him handling it? Yeah, yeah, because you're all in the little rowboat, so... Uh, what's your character's name again, sorry? Arkansas. Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas, may I see that? I don't see why not. Hands it over. I look at it, and is it the same kind of stone that was used in the uh, totem? Please from make last an in time? please make an intelligence check. Intelligence. Uh, ooh, that's a ten, so that's an extreme pass. A shiver runs down your spine. If not the same type of stone, it is extremely similar in composition to that idol from a month ago. So it's not the same, but it's very, very, very it, similar. It may be the same, but if oh, it's okay. not, it's it's extremely similar. You okay. can't tell for certain if it's the same, but it seems to you that it is very possibly the same. Okay, I hand it back to him and go, 
do not read anything written on these rocks out loud. <laughs> well, I think Nothing we've got everything, <laughs> calls out Professor Matheson from the other boat. He says, well, uh, it's going to be dark soon. It gets dark quite early here. Let's get back to the ship and discuss how we're going to uh, divvy up the work. Yes? Mm. He turns... He turns around, and you see Buell expertly rowing the boat back to the Darlena. And you all sigh as Archibald once again uh, uses his pith helmet to uh, change the water pressure, rowing one oar at a time. And it takes about a full ten minutes for him to finally bring you back to the ship. And... Your, the sailors uh, the sailors throw down a rope, tie it to the end of the boat, and then they slowly lift your boat back over the side of the ship. You step out onto the deck. Buell and Matheson are already waiting for you on the deck. In fact, Matheson has a wooden crate in front of him, and he's laid down a uh, hand-drawn, a seemingly hand-drawn map of this fjord uh, in front of him and he motions for you to come over and join him. He says, uh, first of all, anything of note on your end that you'd like to report? Uh, Matheson is the guy that was leading the yeah, last the, one? The, uh, no, no, that was Manning. But Sorry. Matheson, Matheson yeah. was who Manning was reporting to, though. Okay. Um, I say, that stone piece out there is a... Uh, made of, if not the same material, very similar material to what that magical totem was made out of in the last dig. He looks at you, he raises his eyebrows, and then he simply says, well, so they are connected, we can confirm that now. He says, that just means we have to work faster and harder to find anything that we can actually use before that thing sinks into the sea. He looks up in the sky and Already, even though it's even though it's just after 4:30 in the afternoon, it's already starting to get dark. The sky is growing purple, and you can already see stars in the sky twinkling, and shadows are starting to grow long over the deck of the ship. Matheson says, "Well, I doubt we'll be able to do anything tonight, but here is what I think we should do." He says, "Interrupt me if you have a better idea. I'm all ears." He says, I think the mountain climbing team will scale the wall tonight while the rest of us prepare and construct a series of rope scaffolds that will allow members of the scientific team to cling to the surface of the wall and make copies of the writings. They will bring these writings down and we will compile them and possibly start an effort into translating them. Uh, this will prove difficult, but uh, unfortunately, getting rubbings or other transferring procedures will probably be uh, unreliable here due to the dampness and the corrosion on the stone. We'll have to copy them down by hand, make sketchings of the uh, runes. He says, so, I believe we'll split into two teams. The mountain climbers will go out tonight to set up the rigging, and then... From tomorrow onwards, 
half of us will be up on the wall taking etchings, and the other half of us will stay here on the ship attempting to translate the writings that have been brought aboard. I'll remain here as well, you know, at my age, climbing up a wall like that is not going to go well for me. Buell interrupts him and says, well, I'm going to climb up on the wall then. He says, very well, very well. Uh, well, you, I know why you've all come aboard on this expedition, but you know your limitations better than me. So, uh, which team would you like to be a part of? Well, I guess I'm staying on the ship, because do you really see me dangling from a rope over the cold water out there? Fair enough, he says. It's certainly no place for a lady out there in that cold and damp. Dangerous work. Well, thank you. I'm a lady. <laughs> Damn, Kitty's not listening. She would have appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lady! I'm a lady! Uh, Mike Moxley, uh, what team would you like to be a part of? Moxley, well, the stars would love to get some pictures of the problems they've got so far, but as far as this is concerned, sort of see him scratching his head going, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not too bad with the, with some of the climbing and whatnot, but uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be much use in either of these. I mean, I can climb a little bit, yeah, don't get me wrong, but there's a big difference between climbing fences in Brooklyn as opposed to well, just sort of sticks his thumb in the direction of the, uh... <laughs> yeah, the... At the same, Buell, same time, yeah. Buell, Buell cuts you off and he says, But, uh, buddy, you, you've got a camera. Like, if you could come up, take photos of the, uh, of the uh, writings, then we could get twice as much stuff done in the day. We wouldn't even need to make rubbings. Well, that makes perfect sense. Matheson says, I'm sure, I'm sure the mountaineering team will ensure you're going to be totally safe. He looks over at Victor and he says, uh, you'll be able to uh, ensure that the, you'll be able to ensure that the scaffolding is as safe as possible, won't you, Mr. Carisberg? Yeah, he's, yep, yep. Um, Carisberg just nods. Um, so which team would you like, Mike Moxley? Uh, I'm gonna reluctantly take the climbing team. Yep, the etching team, very well. He looks over at Arkansas. Uh, Mr. Smith, uh, which team would you prefer to be a part of? Well, I could be a part of either. Yeah. Wonderful! Yes. Sorry, I was having some audio issues. Ah, that's okay, yep, that's alright. You're back now. Um, I had some questions about, are we actually close to the town? Ah, uh, no. Uh, according to the map, you are about three or four days from the town by ship, possibly 10 to 15 days by foot if you were to walk over the wilderness. So you're essentially um, stuck here until the wall is fully investigated. So... To answer the expedition leader's question, I turn to him and go, look, I can't guarantee anyone's safety. I can merely do my best and I set it up. However, one misstep, one person not following my instructions to the absolute letter, and, well, we're rather isolated from civilization. Bad things happen. Yeah, that's totally fair. He, he <laughs> yeah, just raises yeah, an eyebrow just... and he says, well... 
you'll be as safe as Mr. Carisberg can guarantee. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Arkansas Smith, which team would you like? Well, I happen to have uh, skills for both parties. I, uh, I I can climb, as I've done many times in my previous expeditions, but I can also translate uh, the, uh, the scrappings as they come back. So whichever team needs my expertise, I'm happy to go with. He says, very well, I'll assign you depending on what team requires work on any particular day. He looks over at Archibald Woodham and he says, Mr. Woodham, would you prefer to climb or would you prefer to uh, translate? Ah, the thrill of adventure waits. I would like to go on the translation team. <laughs> he says, very well then. Uh, we, we need all the experts we can get. Uh, in that case, uh, Mr. Smith, I would ask you to be a member of the climbing team. I would happily do that, especially if the camera's around. I'm happy to take pictures of anyone, especially of someone of your expertise. He claps his hands together and he says, Well, we shall start first thing tomorrow. Come. I have a dinner, I have a, well, a veritable feast waiting for us below deck to celebrate our arrival on the scene. And while we make merry, uh, Mr. Carisberg will take the mountaineers and start getting the scaffolding set up for tomorrow. And with that, Matheson and Buell uh, fold up the map and Matheson inserts it into his coat pocket and the two of them make their way below deck. So what's the rate of the ice melting around the um, around actual stone thing. relief? Um, I'd like you to make a natural world check, please. Can I help him with that? Yes, you Because I have it a roll. So does that give him advantage? Or yes, that'll, that'll give him advantage, yep. Okay. All right, I'll roll with advantage then. Uh, I can't tell. Actually, yeah. can I you can push, push it? it? Yeah. yeah. To get two more. And that's a natural one. Yeah, natural <laughs> one. Okay. Um, as everyone else goes down below deck and the sailors gather around you and the three Frenchmen who claim who are uh, impromptu mountaineers await for you to give them orders, you grab a pair of... Uh, you grab a telescope and look through it, peering at the glacier. And the glacier is melting even now as the sun goes down, creating constant rainfall down onto the stone and it's quite large um if you were to hazard a guess you have about six to seven days before the glacier completely melts mm. and pitches the stone into the sea interesting okay so the plan is because there's basically the rock's going to be too hard to drive um, uh, hitching points into a Yeah, so you'll have to put hitching points into the glacier. Which doesn't work because it's melting, which will just drop them. So what I might actually do is I'm going to climb, basically approach from behind. I'm going to climb the glacier from the top. Yep. Um... And then lower ropes 
from the top as basically a climbing point. Yep. Very well. Uh, one of the Frenchmen salutes you and he says, Okay, sir, you're the boss. Uh, let's uh, get going. And I yeah, I take the three Frenchmen with me. Also, I'm going to be keeping an eye on them. I want to see sort of roughly yeah. where their skills are Where at their skill is at, yep. So first but, of all, I would like you to make a climb check. Control V. Uh, that is an extreme pass. Yep. So they help you lower the rowboat down, and one of the sailors comes aboard and helps you row up to the wall again. And then you climb out of the boat and start to make your way up around the back of the glacier, climbing up to the point where you're going to insert the first bits of the scaffolding. You happen to climb it a lot at a lot faster rate than the three Frenchmen, and when you reach the top, you look down and watch them slowly make their way up. Uh, they're not doing anything that's outright dangerous, However, it's very clear that their skill level is on par with that of a beginner. Alright, I'll pull a large, basically, stake out of my pack, a big steel one. Um, and I actually, no, I'll pick it, I'll take an auger out. Um, I'll drill a hole in cheese there. Is it all just ice? Yes, it appears to be m at least 99% ice. There's probably uh, some rock inside I'll, the ice. I'll go a few metres back so I'm like, don't cause any like breakage or avalanches, but I'll use the auger to basically dry it, like drill a hole into the ice, put this, drive the stake in, hot, like tie it off with a rope and then throw the rope over to the um, the people, yep, to yep. conserve some of their energy. Yep, so the Frenchmen, you hear them sigh with relief as you throw the rope down, and they slowly ascend the glacier until they're side by side with you. And then the Frenchman who has the bundles of ropes and hooks over his shoulder divvies them out between the four of you, and you set to work setting up the scaffolding. Please make a survival check. You may make it with advantage as you have the Frenchman to help you, and you've conserved enough of their energy that they can actually make meaningful work on the... Alright. Hello? Hello, yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yep. I, I just, sorry, I just thought yeah. it cut out because I right. That's hearing. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, make uh, a survival check with advantage and you've conserved enough of the Frenchman's energy yeah, that pass. they can help us. Yep. So it takes about two hours to set up a network of rope scaffolding. It should be able to uh, support anywhere between five to ten people and help them scale up the glacier and move around the front of the glacier. And here they can just sort of hang down in front of the wall and uh, lean against uh, the glacier to make rubbings and etchings of the writings. Uh, while I'm also in an elevated position, I'd like to take a lay of the land... Um, taking note of any, specifically what I'm looking for is signs of anything else being here, whether they're animals or people. Yes. I would like you to please make a spot hidden check while you're at this high vantage point. Uh, 
I'll just go check what my spot hidden is. Uh, it's a fail. Can I push? You can push it, yep. Uh, still a fail. At this point, after the work is completed, it's quite dark, and you look around and you're able to see that uh, there are ice shelves and cliffs that sort of uh, rise up on both sides of the fjord, sort of encasing you all, encasing you, the glacier, the ship, and the stone wall in something of a canyon or a ravine, and you're not able to see anything other than that, except for as you uh, as you look away and start to prepare for the climb back down, out of the corner of your eye, you think you catch a glimpse of what appears to be two human silhouettes completely shrouded in shadow, just standing on top of one of the cliffs looking down at you. And when you turn to face them fully, they are gone. Um... Alright, just for the fuck of it, um, I'm going to fire a flare into the air so I can see what I'm looking at. Yep. Raise the f you, you grab a flare and you twist the top of it, insert it in the flare gun and fire it. It sails through the air with a and illuminates the canyon. Please make another spot hidden check with advantage this time. Uh, that is a extreme pass. In the light of the flare, you can confirm what you saw earlier, that you were encased on both sides by big ice-covered cliffs. On the top of the one to your left, you see two men uh, running away, and you catch a glimpse of them for a couple of seconds before they disappear behind a... Uh, they disappear behind some curvature in the ice. And what you were able to see of them for a brief moment, they appeared to be uh, of average build, maybe... Of average build, maybe slightly chunky, and wearing the furs and hoods that are traditionally associated with Eskimos. Uh, I will jot down this on a notepad and put it in my pocket just in case yep something bad happens uh, the scaffolding is done sir should we get done back to the ship and uh, have some dinner says one of the frenchmen um sure I'll demonstrate. I'll go down first and demonstrate to them how to get how down. To use the, yeah, yeah, how to safely use the scaffolding. Yep. Uh, please make a climb check. Uh, normally or with advantage. Uh, with for the advantage, yeah, because you got the scaffolding now. All right. Uh, that is an extreme pass. Making use of the newly set up scaffolding, you make your way down the glacier, drop into the boat, and the Frenchmen follow as you do. All three of them getting down safely, uh, yet they sigh with relief that the work is over, and one of them loudly exclaims how hungry he is as the sailor rows you back to the ship. And you go to the mess hall. By this point, everyone else has already gone to bed. And you heat up some of the leftover food, make a meagre meal of it, and then return to your quarters. 
Is there anyone, anything anyone else would like to do before you retire to bed that night? Uh, Arkansas goes finds the reporter and continues his story. <laughs> and yep. the virtually thing is, his skull was just coming out. I just squeaked underneath it. But I realized I almost lost my hat and I reached under it and I just pulled it back in before the door shut all the way. That's actually kind of funny. Uh, my first thought was, I should probably go find Arkansas and see if I can get any info on him. Yeah. Definitely. His thoughts on this expedition, but that kind of covers that pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, I who read the books? Oh, who read the books? That was... No, who had the books? Oh, uh, Matheson has them. Matheson. Um, could I ask Matheson if he has any books on uh, mythology regarding the six-legged polar bear? Mythology? Hmm. Well... Uh, six-legged polar bear, you say? He frowns. He says, Well, I can think of a few books that might have something. Uh, he picks them out for you. He says, Give these a read. I cannot guarantee that they will have anything that will help you. Well, thank you. When you retire uh, to bed with the books, uh, please make an English language check. That's a normal pass. He, you have just enough time to page through the book, scan through them for any reference of anything that's like a polar bear or has six legs or anything to that matter. And while you don't find anything specifically about this creature, you do find descriptions of things that may be similar enough to it. Once again, that it is a demon that haunts the Arctic wastes, that it hates sunlight, it hates direct sunlight and fire. And there are a couple of things that might come up later that you make note of, so I would like you to increase your Cthulhu Mythos by 1d6. Oh, okay. Damn. That's a four. I now yes. have ten. Woo! Maybe I have a one in ten chance of succeeding. Just as you finish paging through the book, Victor carries, Victor comes back and he hoists himself into his hammock and he nods at you as he picks up the book he's been going through, turns the page on it, and within five minutes, um, the books... Yep, yep. I do have a couple of things I want to do before uh, yep. I retire, though. Yep, yep. Um, first things first... Um, would I, can I test anthropology to have a rough idea of what local tribes would be around? Uh, yes, you can. Uh, that's a fail on that one. Yep. But I would like to report to the expedition leader that we did have contact. He um, frowns. Can I, yep. can I tell yep. whether they were armed? They did not appear to be armed. Cool. And I will report they appeared to be unarmed. He frowns and he says, Eskimos, you say. I start giving guy and I go, Native peoples. Don't know specifically the variety. He says, Noted. Uh, Buell, do you know what tribes would be in this area? Buell says, That I do. I know all about the Eskimos around here. Uh, mm -hmm. Look, uh, if they come back. Uh, maybe I can talk to them, try and make contact, tell them to stay away from here, you know, for their own safety and everything. Matheson nods and he says, very well, make it so. Thank you for informing me, Victor. I will put a memo out to the rest of the crew to be on the lookout for any natives who might stumble upon the expedition. 
Was there anything else you wanted to do? Uh, no. No, yes. So you just return to the room, climb into your hammock, pull out the book you've been reading, and then within five seconds, Myra just looks over and sees the book on uh, Victor's face as he's snoring loudly once again. And she sighs, places her own book under the bunk, and goes to sleep. Ah. Uh, Mike and Arkansas stay up till just before midnight as Arkansas excitedly recounts one of his Egyptian expeditions and it seems to have all of the all of the standard tropes of the pulp novels uh, falling boulders, traps, savage natives, scarab beetles, mummies curses and the like and in fact, even though you're making notes of this and writing it down in case it ends up being an interesting story to report on later, in spite of yourself, you end up falling asleep before he finishes his story and never get to hear the end of it. <laughs> I guess we'll just keep some rambling yeah, on. Don't just keep even going notice on that. Yeah. At some point, you almost hear him like a yeah, mid-swing going, I mean, that's great and all, it's a great story, but uh, what did this have to do with my question? Uh, no, you're still going. <laughs> well, maybe we should get some rest, you know? we got to get up early tomorrow. Oh, the no, two no, boulders no, fell okay. down, you say. <laughs> um, so the next morning... Uh, Matheson uh, rings a. Uh, Matheson uh, has a bell rung outside your quarters and rouses you all at the crack of dawn, just after 5:30 in the morning. The sun is just starting to come over the horizon. Everything outside the ship portholes is doused in a purplish dusk, and you are offered a meager breakfast canned beans heated up over a stove, some toast and some biscuits, and you barely have time to digest it before Matheson and Buell both stand up. Matheson claps his hands together and says, Well, that's our first day on the dig. We'd best get to work. Who knows what wonders we're going to discover. And like an excited child, he, like an excited child, he grabs Buell by the hand and leads him out of the mess hall to the deck above. I was going to say, watch him go, he just mics some money to himself. If that guy starts talking about the fine of the century, I'm jumping ship. <laughs> you all finish up your breakfast, and you make your way up to the deck. The sun has come up some more, and there's now enough sunlight that you're able to make out the details of your surroundings. Matheson consults the map of the expedition one more time, and repeats the plan from last night for anyone who was uncertain and he's that he claps his hands together as he usually does when he's excited and he says okay uh, let's get to it buell you are the leader of the climbing team uh i will be leading the translation team we will be translating in my uh cabin below deck uh best of luck to anyone we will meet just before dinner and reconvene with our findings in the pursuit of science, he says triumphantly as he departs <laughs> below deck, waiting for the translation team to join him. Um, I'd like to, before we send anybody up the scaffolding, go up myself and double check that everything's still in order. That's There's a good been idea. no, yep. no uh, sabotage, no nothing. Please make a climb check. 
Oh, can I push? You can push. Oh, you can do it with advantage, because you... Unless you're not using the scaffolding. No, I am using the scaffolding. Okay, yeah, so it's advantage when you're using uh, the scaffolding. scaffolding. Yep. You climb down, have a sailor row the boat up to the wall, and climb up with the scaffolding, and you manage to get to the top of the glacier, and the scaffolding still holds fast, and so you wave back to the ship, giving the all-clear signal, and prepare to wait for the rest of the climbing team to join you. So, climbing, uh, climbing team, that would be Mike and uh, Arkansas, I believe, as well as the three Frenchmen. Uh, a boat is lowered down by one of the sailors, and you and the three Frenchmen climb in. It's rowed out to the wall, and one of the Frenchmen takes hold of the scaffolding, and while he demonstrates how to climb up, one of the other Frenchmen begins to tie rope harnesses around you. Uh, this will uh, catch you if you fall, <laughs> he says nervously as he clasps the rope harnesses on. And then you begin to climb up the scaffolding. I would like Arkansas and Mike to please make climb checks with advantage. Words with advantage. Okay, that's a pass from me. Uh, it's an 11, so that is a hard pass. Working the wall is cold and hazardous, but it is the only activity that can occupy your time if you're unable to help with translating. As you climb yeah. up, as you climb up the scaffolding and the rope catwalks constructed by the mountain climbers, you find them coated with ice and slippery. However, thanks to your life jackets and the safety harnesses that have clipped, that have, make sure you clip onto the ropes, you are able to safely make your way up to the top of the glacier where Victor Karasberg waits. And Victor demonstrates how to move around the side of the glacier so you're dangling in front of the wall and how you can press against the side of the glacier to take uh, sketchings or to get... Uh, a sturdier footing uh, when trying to study the rock. There's enough daylight in the day for each of you to completely copy one of the blocks that make up the wall. And so, I would like uh, each of you who are on the wall to make... Uh, depending on the method you would like to use, if you'd like to make a rubbing of the wall, you may make a sleight of hand check or a hard or a hard dex check. If you'd like to make a sketching of the blocks, you may make an archaeology check. Or if you'd like to take a photo with Mike's camera, or if Mike would like to use his camera, you may make a photography check with disadvantage. I mean, I got bad chance of disadvantage of photography check. So go ahead, Arkansas, Victor, Mike, make your checks to take copies of the writings. Okay, I am going to have to uh, push that since my dice are so all of a sudden that rolling above 90 <laughs> is a good idea. Is, yep. <laughs> uh, that is a 33, so that's a pass for me. Pass for you, yep. Victor Karasberg. Uh, how are you? Are you going to assist taking 
copies of uh, the writings? No, no. What no. I'll do is yep. I will oversee and ensure that everyone is safe. Smoke. Very well. Yes. So okay. that way, if anyone okay. does fail a crime check on the way down, you will have a chance to do something. Um, yes. Well, that's nice to know. Um, I barely scraped through a pass. Yep. So you snap a photo of the block and... Uh, in fact, because all you have to do is snap a photo, you actually manage to take copies of two blocks. Hey, um, while the Frenchman and Arkansas laboriously make rubbings and sketchings, I will roll for the Frenchman as a group to see if they manage to make their rubbing today. And they do. And so, yeah, you work for most of the day, toiling away on the wall, Mike taking photos, and once he's sure he's got the right angle, taking another one again, and then assisting the others with, uh, assisting the others with getting their rubbings completed. You stop just after 12 to have a meagre lunch of biscuits and stale bread hanging off the, still hanging off the glacier in your harnesses, and then... Just before 4pm, as you see the sun starting to come down, you finish up your work. Altogether, four blocks have been copied, and you make your way down. You begin to make your way back down to the rowboat. Please make crime checks with advantage to get safely down. Oh, oh I'm so glad you offered to give us advantage. Yeah, because that's the uh... scaffolding. I'm gonna need to spend uh, uh, eight luck to not die. But uh, my first roll, I got really excited when I saw the first double zero come up, and then <laughs> shit myself when the yeah. second zero turned up directly um, after it. Oh no! Yeah, it's a good thing it was with advantage. Otherwise, oh, yeah, I could uh, have died. Yes, extreme, <laughs> extreme success for me. Yep, you could yeah, have died. Sixteen, so I got a hard pass. I, I'll just let you know that if you fail your climb check, your harness. Uh, if you fail your climb check, you'll have to make a luck check to see if your harness saves you. If it does not, you will plunge into the frozen water below and take three d six damage. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm really glad I spent yeah. my luck on that. Cause hell no. <laughs> when you get back to the ship, you pass on all of the uh, writings you've copied to the translation team who have spent the day uh, without anything to translate, since it's only the first day. They've spent the day just uh, t brushing up on their Norse and ensuring they're ready to begin their work the next day. You have a meagre meal once again and retire, ready to repeat the cycle again the next day. Day two. Once again, Matheson arouses everybody at the crack of dawn, claps his hands together and tells everyone to get to work. As the freezing cold winds blow, the uh, as the freezing cold winds blow, the climbing team gets into their rowboat, begins to make their way over to the wall to climb up again. And today, the translation team, led by Terence Buell, uh, led by uh, Professor Matheson, is sequestered away in Matheson's uh, cabin with all of the rubbings and etchings and pictures that were made yesterday laid out on the table before you with all of his library books stacked up beside it in case you need to consult them. Uh, um, yep. Real quick. Yesterday, does that mean that you the invest wouldn't have been doing anything? Yeah, you basically we're just brushing up on your Norse and ensuring you were ready for... Ah, oh, okay, because I was going to ask, could I study one of the Norse books again? 
Well, yeah, um, actually, those of you on the translation team, uh, because you didn't do anything the previous day and Matheson was just helping you brush up on your Norse so you could be better translators, you may add 1d6 to your Norse skill. Awesome. So that's you too, Archibald. Oh, six. Yay. Matheson frowns as he looks at the rubbings that were completed. He says, hmm, four blocks to complete, and until we translate the language itself, we won't even know if they've got anything useful. He says, hmm, let's hope the uh, mountain climbers aren't wasting any time up there. Okay, uh, Myra. To successfully <laughs> translate a... To successfully translate a, a block of text, you'll need to succeed on a Norse check, an anthropology check, and an archaeology check. If you lack any of these skills, you may substitute it with an intelligence check. Okay, um... You know what's really annoying? My intelligence is higher than all of those skills. But I will need to, um... substitute my archaeology check. That's okay, so, so go ahead, make an Anthropology and a Norse check, and then just an Intelligence check. Okay, so Norse first. Uh, I'm going to push it, because 98 does not sound like a pass. Okay, so Norse is a normal pass. Yep. Anthropology is a hard pass, and my Intelligence, which I'm substituting Archaeology for is a hard pass as well. Yes, it passes altogether. Uh, please make a luck check now to determine whether this block of text actually has anything interesting. Shit. I shouldn't have used all my luck before. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was an 83. That's a fail. The language is exceedingly complex, and the translation that you've managed to make is sketchy and crude, and even after initial translations are made, it is still basically impossible to simply read what is on the wall. The best you can do is catch uh, tiny snippets of information out of the blocks of text you've been provided with. The odd mathematical form of the language requires a form of decoding, trying various formulae until one is found to fit. There's a long and tedious process, and a single block of glyphs takes a full day's work to make any headway on. You failed your luck check, and so you translate the first block and determine that it appears to be some sort of uh, recipe for food. And nothing more interesting than that. You're unsure why it was carved into this wall. And you feel extremely disappointed that it took you hours to translate what is essentially directions to Baker Pie. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Archibald, you would you like to try to translate a block? Oh, that would be awesome. Very well, please make a Norse check first. Alright, quick Norse check. Hold the dictionary out. That is not a pass. Can I push it? You can push it, yep. It's a hard pass. Hard pass, yep. Okay, now please make an intelligence check as you do not have anthropology or archaeology. Um, I do have anthropology, but it's... Yeah, you'd probably, probably be better doing an intelligence <laughs> check. 
Did not want to get that from. Um, so intelligence? Yep. And that is a... Ooh. The boss. That is a pass. So you also managed to translate your block of text after toiling on it all day. Please make a luck check and we'll determine if it is anything useful. Oh, that is definite pass. Definite pass. Lovely. Yay. Um, so you translate what appears to be the name of a city, Comorium, and a vague history of it engraved into the wall. Here lies the city of Camorium, built by the Pale Skins, who migrated from the south, from Muthulan. You may make a Cthulhu, you and uh, Myra may both make Cthulhu Mythos checks to see if this oh. means anything to you. Okay. <gasps> That's a nine! That's a boss! Hey! <laughs> and I'm going to lose sound for this. Yep. So you recognize the name you recognize the name Muthulan. It is part of the lost continent of Hyperborea, thus confirming in your mind, Myra, that indeed this wall or stone or obelisk, whatever it is you're working on, seems to be part seems to be a relic from a Hyperborean city. Okay. I relay that to everybody in the room. Well, how about that, says Matheson, as he finishes his own translation and shows it to you, reading it out with a flourish. Comorium was built upon the children of Zothakwa. This is the only understandable portion of his translation. Can I do a check for Zothakwa? You can. Is that Cthulhu? Yep, it's Cthulhu Mythos check. Yep. Uh, oh, no. Uh, I'm going to push it. You can, you can. Uh, I've got a 42 and a 48. No, that's a fail. You, yeah, um, you have no idea what Zothakwa is or indeed who his children are, but perhaps when you translate more of the blocks, you'll find more information. There is one block left untranslated at the end of the day, so Matheson places the rubbings in his foot locker and then heads out to the mess hall to greet the mountain climbing team when they return. Mountain climbing team, please make climb checks with advantage. And I will be back. That's passed. Uh, pass from me. Yep. Okay. And Arkansas? Uh, that is a hard pass. Hard pass. Um, okay. You manage once again to make your way safely up the scaffolding that Victor Karasberg has uh, rigged up for you. And once again, he perches at the top of the glacier, hanging off the scaffolding, keeping an eye on the team as they complete their rubbings. Uh, so, Arkansas, please make an archaeology roll, and Mike, please make a photography check with disadvantage. Uh, that is a hard pass for archaeology. Uh, yes. Even with the disadvantage, it's a hard pass for me. Hard pass, yeah. Okay, I'll roll for the Frenchman. D100. The Frenchmen are still working when Mike has taken photos of two blocks of text and 
Arkansas has created etchings, uh, sketchings of another one. Uh, just after 3.30 in the afternoon, seemingly out of nowhere, a blizzard rolls in and starts buffeting you with freezing cold wind, shards of ice sticking to your clothes, melting into your uh, melting into the fabric and dripping down your sleeves and onto your skin, chilling your entire bodies. The blizzard seems to pick up within minutes. Within ten minutes, the blizzard is so thick that you can barely see the wall in front of you anymore, and the scaffolding begins to violently shake as it's jostled back and forth in the wind. Karasberg gives the order for everyone to pack it in for the day and start climbing down. So please, everyone, make climb checks, this time without advantage, as it is the middle of a blizzard. Okay. A snap blizzard that came out of nowhere. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The fact that you a... upon the snap blizzard came out of nowhere and started setting files. Yeah, uh, I would like to go first. And put flares. Yep. Yep. Just and put flares at, at points so people can like, see. generally yep. see correct direction to go. Well, in that case, Victor, please make a climb check. Okay. Uh, can I push that? You can. Mm. All right. Extreme. So oh. as the blizzard roars, you slowly climb down and leave glowing flares at intervals down the scaffolding, so that the others have a slight bit of assistance when they're getting down and then you drop it to the boat and wipe the sweat off your brow. Uh, Arkansas, you already passed, but uh, Mike, you may please make, you may make your climb check and add 10 to your climb skill for oh, the fine. assistance of um, these okay. flares. You want to hear something funny? With that climb skill that pushes my climb to 50, you want to know what I rolled? 50. 49. 49. Wow, you just made Woo! it. You almost, you almost lose your grip a few times and it's nearly impossible to see in the blizzard. Uh, but thanks to Victor's flares, you're able to slowly, precariously make your back down, dropping into the boat and breathing a sigh of relief. The three Frenchmen slowly make their way down. The first two climb into the boat and then you're waiting for the third one. And as he climbs down towards one of the flares, a gust of wind buffets him, nearly pushing his body into the glacier. You hear a sickening crack as he's flung into the glacier at full speed. And then he screams, ah! as his harness breaks. And he falls, ah! and plummets face first into the freezing water. Oh. Was that one of the Frenchmen? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I would, also, like, <laughs> I would like you to. I would like everyone else to please make sand checks. Really? I can't imagine why. Uh, even those on the boat. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 not I mean, you, you guys. guys you guys spent the day translating. Huh. Uh, um, another pass first roll. Yeah. Yep. No, I I passed that. Well, I've seen people die before. Yep. <laughs> so for passing, that's a sand loss of one d three. Failing, it's 1d6. Jeez. That makes sense. That is one sand loss. 
the other two Frenchmen scramble to attention. They lean over the edge of the boat and they're about to dive into the water when you pull them back. With the blizzard raging, it would be impossible to save the poor man. You can't Great even point. see where he fell, and all you saw is that when he hit the water, he sink, sunk um, like a stone. Do I have any? Do I have any flares left? Uh, make a luck check. Pass. You do have some flares left. All right. Um. I quickly hitch one to a lifesaver, pull it, and throw it into the water. Curl it into the water, roughly in the direction where you saw the man fall. The rope attached. Yes, and with the flare, with the flare glowing and illuminating that illuminating that portion of the water, you're able to see through the blizzard, and your heart sinks as you realise the man is completely gone. He's already below the surface, and. You cannot see anything under the inky blackness of the water. Alright, uh, reel it back in. It was worth a try. <laughs> I love how matter of fact you said that. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, the, he's dead. Fuck him, he's next. The <laughs> sailor. <laughs> the, the, um, the, yep, yep. I was going to say, I'm a, I'm a mountaineer in the 1920s. This isn't the first yeah, time I've watched no, it. No, that's no. That's <laughs> fair enough. The sailor the rows the boat slowly back to the ship, and as you row, one of the Frenchmen lowers his head and reveals that the man who fell was the one who had the day's rubbing. Oh, fuck. Well, his, his. You, you still have yours. He just had, know, he has the rubbing, rubbing that those three made. Wow. Make your way back to the ship, and as the sailors raise the boat back up onto the ship, your hearts, your hearts almost sink as the blizzard, as intense and as, as intense and dangerous as it was, seems to subside almost instantaneously the moment you, your feet step on the deck. Quick question. In the, uh, in the like, main mess hall area, there's like a stove in there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. <laughs> hey, Mike is immediately going to go find the like, biggest, warmest thing he can find, throw it on himself, and literally <laughs> just one, and curl up in front of the stove. Yep. As Mike immediately runs off, the, the, Mike notices the blizzard subsiding, and then he completely br he runs at a complete sprint down below deck to get warm, leaving the two remaining Frenchmen, Carisberg and Arkansas, on the deck. I would like Arkansas and Carisberg to please make listen checks. Who, sorry? Uh, Carisberg and Arkansas. Pass for me. Yep. As a fail for me. So Carisberg, you hear, you hear the last gusts of wind of the blizzard dying away, and as the air becomes still and clear once again, somewhere in the distance you hear a great roar. Oh. A roar that chills your very spine, and then you make your way down to the mess hall. Make um, sure. Yep. I immediately head down deck, retrieve the three uh, rifles yep. from, and I hand them out to... Actually, I'll go to the expedition leader and ask him who he thinks the best shots are. He says, hmm, well, you know, I never asked. Uh, I didn't exactly have that in mind when I hired members for the crew. He says, if it, he says, if it's a polar bear, though, uh, surely we don't need to shoot the thing, we just need to scare it away with loud noises. 
I shrug and I go. It's up to you, though. I would feel a lot safer if whatever's making the noise out there had a Winchester-sized hole in it. <laughs> Very well, <laughs> he says. I will leave you in charge of the security. Distribute the firearms as you see fit. We lost a man today, and I'm eager to ensure it doesn't happen again. Alright. Um, I'll specifically go to um, the party members first and go, Alright, any of you know how to point one of these things? Uh, no. I turn to the journalist. Archibald already has a rifle, so he doesn't need one. Yeah. He's got his pith helmet on him. You just hear like a muffled yell coming out from the bed, like, behind us too. I can't shoot no gun and I ain't going out that shit ever again. Um, I'm better I, I with the camera. I for you. <laughs> Shall I upload it? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Please, please. Alright. Um, it's going to be magical. Okay, welcome. The plinth gun. Oh shit! I hope you came through. I hope you came through. This is the plinth gun. Yeah. I also oh, just I want have... to point out that remember we did start late today, so we're going to go about another hour before we wrap up. All right. I'm going to try. <laughs> keep talking. I'm going to try and keep finding it. Yep. Well, when you find it, upload it. I'll show it to the stream. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you already have a gun. Um. <laughs> it looked a lot better than this. <laughs> it looked better in my head. <laughs> so, uh, Myra and Mike, I assume your rifle skill is just base? Yeah, yes. What about you, Archersaw? <laughs> Uh, my, I'm more suited to, uh, handguns than rifles. Yep. You've, you, you pat the, you pat the, um, handgun holster on your belt, so, uh, I suppose Myra and Mike, if you want to just take one just in case. Um. Leaving Victor with the third one. Sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, it's better than to have it and not need it than to not have it and need it. I guess. <laughs> Victor, do you keep the third rifle for yourself? No, I'll hand it out. Yep. Um, I've got my trusty bare handgun. Yep. So in that case, uh, the sailor who rows the boat while you're, uh, rows the boat out to the, uh, plinth every yeah, morning, uh, Asks I'd if like he would take it. Yeah, I like. I'd like the man that's in charge of our um, boat. Yeah, yeah. Our transportation only means out of here to be armed. He takes it and nods, and he says, "I'll keep this on hand while you're up there on the glacier tomorrow." And then you make a meagre meal and retire to bed to get some well, much-needed rest before another day of hard work. Day three. Just like usual, you're awoken at the crack of dawn. Professor Matheson claps his hands, and you all you all slowly climb out of bed, eat your meager breakfast, and prepare to get to work. 
as Buell climbs into the boat with the mountaineering team. He just sighs and he says, Well, let's hope that man yesterday didn't die for nothing. I'm hoping we'll get something, anything, that'll tell us anything about what we're actually doing here today. Translation team, we will start with you. There are, are still four blocks. So one left over from yesterday and three... One left over from the previous day and three new ones. So, uh, as Matheson once again leads you down into his cabin and spreads the rubbings over his over his uh, fold-out table, he immediately picks one off the top of the pile and quietly gets to work. Myra, please make your make your Norse anthropology and intelligence checks, please. Okay, doggy. So. Norse, that is a normal pass. Um, anthropology, uh, I'm going to push. Yep. Uh, is unfortunately a fail. Uh, and my archaeology is a normal pass. Very well. Uh, yep, uh, that's enough to translate. Please make a luck check with advantage now as... You are starting to learn a little bit about the language, so the chances that the mountaineers bring back something useful is slightly higher. Okay, well, I'm glad that was advantage, because I passed this time. Very well. Your translation, uh, once you're done with it at the end of the day, reads, The people of Comorium built their city on the ruins of... on, on the ruins of the children of Zothakua. Perhaps elaborating upon the translation that Matheson gleaned yesterday. Okay, can I do a Cthulhu Mythos to may. see what that is? You may. Come on, 10, 10, 10, 10. No, one of my dice went crazy. That's a fail anyway, so I'm going to yep. push that. Uh, no, it's fail again. Oh, well. Very well. You still have no idea what this means, but every day you're divulging more information, and you know you can feel that familiar drive for information. You know, any day now it's just going to click together. Uh, Archibald, please make your uh, Norse and intelligence checks. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, said back, yeah. yeah, I'll do them for him then. Uh, that is a pass. So Archibald, at the end of the day, proudly holds up his translation and you take it and read it. And it is a transcription that tells of a six-legged horror sometimes seen in the vicinity of a temple of Zothakwa. You may make a Cthulhu Mythos check, please, if you... Yep. Once again, a mention of a six-legged uh, horror. Gonna push that. No, failing. The inscription tells of the six-legged horror and simply describes that when priests would enter the temple to, to petition Zoth Aqua, they would ward it away with torches. Okay. 
interesting. Matheson finishes his translation for the day, and with a flourish, he turns it over to you. It says, A hideous, formless guardian hides in the centre of the city. Hideous form can I do a Cthulhu? You may, you may. Actually, before I do Cthulhu, can I do a normal occult check to see yes, if anything pops up in normal occult? Go ahead. Um, that's a hard pass. Hard pass, very well. Um, a formless guardian, hideous and formless. It could be a ghost, perhaps? Some type of spirit, and this would make sense if it is indeed the guardian of whatever building is in the centre of the city. Okay, and now I'll make a Cthulhu mythos. Uh, hey, that's one! Ooh. Hey. So, you know <laughs> that this city it was apparently built upon the ruins of the children of Zothakwa. You wreck your brain and a shiver runs down your spine as you realise that Zothakwa could be another name for Sothogua. A name that you heard a month ago. A guardian worshipped by the Hyperboreans, in which case a hideous formless guardian could only be an entity known as a formless spawn of Sothogua. Something that, by all accounts that you've read, is impervious to most types of weaponry and usually means certain death for anyone who does not manage to placate it. Oh, good. I, I, I'm going to guess that learning that is a sand check. Yes, that is yeah. a sand check, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, you think? <laughs> and as is befitting, uh, that was a 90, so that's a fail. Yeah, uh, that is a sand loss of 1d3, please. 1d3, I'll do that in the chat. D3. That's a one thing. The Lord. Okay, a one. <laughs> Luckily. Um, <laughs> and so, um, at the end of the day, you've gleaned some information that you think will be useful. Um, and I will point out that not all of this information is necessarily going to concern today's session. This is, of course, part one of two. So some of this may come into play next time. So... Um, no, uh, any any translations that you made, I will provide you at the start of next session anyway, if you don't... Oh, good, notes. okay, because I was just about to say, I'm going to need to ask you later, yes, so I can take yes. notes of what's been Yeah, that's translated. fair enough. Mm -hmm. And so, we move to the mountaineering team. I need Victor Carisberg, Arkansas, and Mike to please make their climb checks with advantage. I'd like to point out that, that Mike is very reluctant to get back up on this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. While they're making their checks, I would just like to say this is a really cool mechanic. Um, yeah, um, the, translating the, the translating it, yeah. And while they're they're making the rubbings, and you get to translate. Yeah. It. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is really cool. Pass today. That yeah. is pass, pass. a pass. Yep. And Victor. Um, I'd like to also go over check all the the tether points and all that. Make sure everything's in working order. Yep. While I. As you climb up, Victor, you notice that, perhaps due to the blizzard, 
a couple of tether points have been slightly weakened. And so please make a survival check to repair them. Uh, earlier? Um, I might push it. Yep. Oh, actually, uh, no, what I might do is I might, if I can't repair it effectively, uh, mark where those tether points are and direct people away from those areas. Yep. Very well. Um, so, yeah, you mark a couple of the damaged tether points and... Fortunately, it means one less person will have to come. Will be able to come up today. So one of the Frenchmen decides to stay behind. While Mike and Arkansas, please make your climb checks with advantage. Isn't that what we did before? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Did you both pass? Oh, yeah. Then he did. Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah, you climb up using. You climb up using uh, only the only the uh, ropes and tether points that Victor has declared safe and staying away from the two that he found that were damaged, meaning that uh, I will not ask you to make a luck check to see if the rope snaps while you're climbing up, which I was going to do if he didn't think to check. <laughs> well, that's nice of you. Imagine just like watching as one of the French guys goes back going, wait, why is the actual climbing guy going back if what am I still up here? <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, you make it to the top of the glacier. The one remaining Frenchman and Arkansas and Mike get to work as Karasberg sits at the top of the glacier. He, uh, do you have a weapon brandished, uh, Karasberg? Um... I will have my handgun handy, I think. Yep. You just, you have your handgun handy and you're just, and you're watching the team? Yeah. Okay, watching the team. Okay, uh, Arkansas, make your archaeology check. Mike, make your photography check with disadvantage. Sure, sure, I have to do it with disadvantage because I rolled a five and then... I still passed, but yeah, but, yeah. so much better. It's a 33, so that's a pass. Yep. So, um, Mike manages to snap photos of two blocks of text, while Arkansas gets the basics of a third block. The one remaining Frenchman on his own is having a hard time uh, working. And so, at the end of the work day, unfortunately, he has not made any progress on his block of text. The day passes relatively uneventfully uh, until the early afternoon. About two in the afternoon, you're toiling away on the wall, making etchings and rubbings of Mike, making sure his camera is working, that the film hasn't frozen in the cold weather and snapping photos of the block in front of him until he gets one that he's sure is just right. You all hear an earth-splitting crack. <laughs> like the sound of a mountain being rent in two. And you have just enough time to look up to see a huge chunk of ice falling from the top of the glacier plunging down towards all of you. Um... Oh. I'll shout to everyone hard up against the wall. Hard up against the wall. Therefore, uh, 
as Parisberg was watching the team uh, and was ready to ready to call out in the event of danger, I will allow all three of you to please make your dodge checks with advantage. Hooray. Oh, I'm so glad I have advantage. Oh my god. Well, that I is had a advantage. Pass. I rolled a 94 and a 95. Well Whoa. done. <laughs> Guess where I'm going. <laughs> okay. Straight um, to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this this may be it. Because <laughs> you both um, you failed your dodge roll. I was going to say, for God's sake, as this thing's coming, do I have time to at least throw the camera? Yeah, you do. And, uh, do I get time to, like, react? Can I use my whip to try and... Well, like, you two... What, how did you... How did, uh, Karasberg and Arkansas do on their dodge checks? Was it just a normal oh. pass, or... Wait yeah. Give me half a second. Uh, uh, if I did the advantage, it was a hard pass. Hard pass, okay. Uh, hard pass for me as well. Okay, so you both got hard passes. This means you were able to get out of the way of the chunk of ice quite quickly. And you watch as Mike Moxley tries to get out of the way and then gets his foot accidentally caught in a piece of the, ne of the netting. And he looks up, sees the big block of ice tumbling down towards him and all of the blood drains from his face as he lowers okay. his hand ready to throw the camera to someone. What would you no. like to do? You have a couple of seconds to act. Okay. Um, Is his foot stuck or...? Yeah, it seems to be caught in the netting and it's stopping him from being able to get out of the path of the ice block. Okay. If I was to sh try and shoot at one of the weak uh, bindings with, uh, sorry, one of the weak tether points with my pistol, if I hit it, would that be able to, th like, could I pick Loose. one that would, like, Loosen fling him it out so of the way? Can... Um, you well, could try. Well, yeah, like, fling him out of the way, yes, you may try. Yeah. Alright. Uh, I'll try. Make a firearms check, please. I will use two points of luck. Two points just of luck. Pass. You aim at one oh, of wait, the near... wait, wait, seven points. You aim at one of the nearby tether points and fire. Your bullet hits it, snapping the rope. And then with the sound of and then with the sound of the snapping rope, Mike Moxley is flung <laughs> out of the webbing. Mike Moxley, make a luck check, please. Can I like use my whip? Because I was going to use my whip to sort of like try and grab him. We'll wait and see what happens yeah. with his work check first. Okay, work, 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 work. Uh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the rope snaps, Mike Moxley is flung out of the webbing, and he starts to scream as he begins plummeting down, face first, down towards oh. the freezing water. Oh, God! Uh, <laughs> Arkansas, you have a scant few seconds to act. You want to try to lasso him with your whip? Yes. I would like you to please make either a sleight of hand check or a hard dex check. Um, Let's get the camera out of the way, or am I still holding You're still back? holding the camera! Wow, you boys are fucked up That's a fail. Can I push oh, that? Fuck. You can push it. Oh, that is an 18, so that is... Oh. An 18. Mike is, Mike is screaming, ah! and you lash out with your whip, wrapping it around his torso, and 
dragging him towards the glacier. He still falls, but you pull him towards the glacier, and he's able to hold his hands out and grab for dear life onto a portion of the scaffolding as his body slams into the glacier, and he takes six points of damage. Oh! Please make a con check, uh, Mike Moxley. <laughs> oh! Okay, con. Actually, con's not too bad. That's a three. I yeah. am awake and I am very hurt. Yeah, you manage. You manage to somehow cling to consciousness and avoid dropping your camera into the drink. You're just holding onto the ends of the tripod as it dangles from your badly beaten arm. Um, I'd like oh. to rappel down to his position. Yep. Karasberg, as you rappel down. You hear the sound of a gunshot coming from below where the boat is. And then a second one, right. and then a third. Right. Three right. gunshots in quick succession in the span of ten seconds. Alright, well, I'll deal with that later. First things first, I go get to... Um, sorry, what was your character's name again? Mike. Mike. Mike Mike. Mike. Alright, I'll go get to Mike's position. And I'll quickly secure him uh, to the wall and to lower down. Yep. Please make a survival check to uh, carefully secure him and lower him down into the boat. Uh, just pass. Just pass, yep. Literally on my survival <laughs> skill. <laughs> you carefully lower... You, care, you secure Mike and carefully lower him down into the boat. He's unable to move. He's bleeding profusely and looks as if he's on the verge of losing consciousness. And just, yeah. as, you land, just as you land in the boat, you hear a loud scream. As ah! you see the Frenchman who is up on the mountain hit by a jagged block of ice, and just like his friend from the previous day, he plummets down into the drink, being swallowed by the inky black frozen water, sinking like a stone, and is not seen again. Karasberg and Arkansas, please make a sand check. I don't have to, because I'm just in a shit state. <laughs> sand check... Oh, I can finally use my advantage. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's still a fail. So for a fail, that'll be another 1d3. For a pass, it'll be 1. Uh, that Mike is... Give a shit. <laughs> is that could have been him? <laughs> the sailor in the boat is just clutching the rifle in his hand, looking up towards the glacier. He's breathing deeply, and he turns to you, Karasberg, and he says, Two men uh, up on the glacier. You look where he's pointing, but there's no one there anymore. I would like uh, Myra Digger to please make a luck check. Okay. Oh, good. Okay, uh, if I pass this, we're going to be incredibly lucky. Oh! We passed! Yay. So, 
you finish your translations early this day, Myra, and after you finish your translation, you feel stiff. You've been sitting down all day, so you stand up and decide to stretch your legs, heading up onto deck to see if you can maybe catch a glimpse of the mountaineering team as they go about their business. And you emerge on deck, uh, you pull your cloak around yourself to protect yourself from the freezing winds, and you feel your bottom lip go limp and drop as you look out over to where the wall is and you see two hooded men clad in very thick fur-covered uh, coats slowly walking across the top of the glacier. Huh? Would you like to would you like to try to see if you can find a telescope or something to get a better look? Uh, these guns that we, we have, do they have sights on them? Uh, unfortunately they do not. They do not. Um, uh, sure, I'll try and find something that magnifies my view. Yep. Um, make a spot hidden check, please. Oh, thank god it's a spot hidden and not a lock. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's gonna be pushed. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's just a pass. You look around and you see the telescope that Matheson used to uh, point out where the scaffolding was uh, the other day. You grab it, pull it up to your eye and peer through it to examine the men on the glacier. You see two men wearing what from here looks like traditional Eskimo garb. Uh, they're walking across the top of the glacier where a huge block of ice uh, sits precariously on the edge of the glacier. And when they reach the block, they look down at the mountaineering team for a moment. And then the two of them begin to push the block off the edge of the glacier, moving it quite Quickly, obviously making use of exceptional strength. Through the powerful lenses, you see that although these two men are dressed in garb similar to Eskimos, they possess unusual features, large, long noses and earlobes of quite considerable length. After, as soon as the block begins to tumble over the edge of the glacier, they look in your direction, perhaps instinctively knowing they are being watched, and you see both of their faces are long and thin, almost horse-like, but still human. If you had to, if you had to think of an analogy in your brain, the first thing that comes to mind is that there is something elven about them. Please, okay. please make a sand check. That's bad. Uh, is that a, that's a fail. That is a one d three from uh sand. That is a one d three from failing. That's two. That's two. And. Mm -hmm. Can yep. I do a Cthulhu Mythos? Yes, you may. In fact, you may do it with advantage, because you've seen oh. the inscription on the wall. Oh. Okay, so... I'm going to push it. 
Uh, 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 come on. Nah, fail. You rack your brain, and the only thing you can think of is that they, when you see their faces, it reminds you of that strange image upside down on the rock of someone who looks human, but not quite. The thing you identified before as being a depiction of the culture of Hyperborea, but not the Hyperborean itself. And feeling the fear begin to rise, you turn away as the men turn and run back down the glacier. You hear three gunshots ring out and then an ear-curdling scream of terror as one of the men of the mountaineering team loses his grip and plunges into the ocean below. Okay. <laughs> fun. Fun, 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 fun. The mountain, the boat of mountaineers eventually returns, and the crew help lift the clearly injured Mike out of the boat. He is immediately rushed off to the first aid room to receive first aid from the. So I'll do a first aid check. Unfortunately, even though they are able to attend to the bleeding, they aren't able to help you with basic first aid. And Can I they... assist with that? Yep, go ahead. You may do a first aid check of your own. As you follow them down, as, you, as they carry him down into the first aid room and you run along behind them. That is just a pass. He's a pass. Okay. Uh, you recover one hit point, Mike, and your major wound has been stabilised. You no longer have a major wound. You're not in danger of dying yet. Yeah, oh, yeah thanks. Um, <laughs> whilst, I, whilst he's doing the first aid, and he's like, when you make the report of this for the papers, make sure you mention about how heroically I use that whip to save you from certain death. <laughs> Just lying on the bed going, yeah, yeah sure, whatever. <laughs> um, I can still has got his uh, motives. Who, uh, who was the guy that when we shook hands... Uh, Buell, the guy with the um, air, um, layer no, of hair. No, the other guy who, when I mentioned Hyperboreans... Oh, Matheson, uh, yeah. Yes, Matheson. Matheson. The leader um, of your team. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to him and start demanding stuff. Yep. So <laughs> as as the sailors rush Mike down into the first aid room and Arkansas runs along behind them as Victor Carisberg remains on deck to keep an eye on the glacier and question the sailor in the boat on what exactly he saw, you head back down to Matheson's uh, cabin or where... Archibald and the rest of the translation team are still toiling away at the day's work. Matheson looks up at you as you enter and he says, Ah, I presume the mountaineering team are going well? I don't want any bullshit. You knew what I said meant when I said Hyperboreans. What kind of ancient bloody races are there that look like elves? Looks Incredible good. strength, maybe Eskimos, I don't care. But they just tried to kill our climbing team. 
he looks at you and his eyes narrow. And please make a persuade check. I would like to use Intimidate. And you place your hand on the hilt of your sword? Yes, but I also make sure that my face is in full view. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Y'all get and the answer now, you hear? Go ahead and make an intimidation check. I'm going to push that because, of course, I do something like this and I get really shitty rolls. That was a pass. Mm. He looks at you for a moment and he looks over at Archibald, who's still working and ushers you to come over to him. And then he leans in and he whispers, Very well. It's clear we both know what the other is talking about. Take this. He reaches into his coat and pulls out a bundle of papers that are loosely tied together with a string of twine. You look I down at the, look at him. You look down at the first page at the first piece of paper and it's all handwritten and it reads a translation of the Altdown shards compiled by Professor Carl Matheson. The what shards, sorry? Altdown shards. Okay. Yep. Um and what is this? Exactly. He says, I don't want anyone to overhear. It's, look, I compiled the translation myself. I know that the things you speak of are real. That's what well, I've I know been trying they're to damn real. They just tried to kill people. No, I think he means the last <laughs> He says, that is a translation of hieroglyphics that myself and some colleagues found on fragments of broken pottery brought out of the interior of Greenland in 1903. Wait. He knew this ship was tainted this whole time. What would you like uh, to say, Myra? Um... Ah... Uh... These are not things I speak of with others, not even Buell, although Buell knows perhaps a bit too much about the Eskimos and other civilizations in this region. Even he does not know that there are things beyond the ken of science. I mean, you could probably pull off of the fact that he knew this and didn't think of the foremost when he got here. Yeah, I was just thinking that. So, you knew that there might be a chance of dying, there might be a chance of being attacked. And you didn't decide to, you know, hire security or anything under some other bullshit. He grows reason. red in the face and he says, please, please. All I had to go by was the, some old translations of some old pottery. I didn't seriously think these things would attack us. And furthermore, I didn't want to draw attention to our expedition by having a bunch of men with guns standing about. <sighs> Fine, well you had better go and make sure that the man down in the medical bay gets the best medical care that we can afford, that we can give at the moment. I'm gonna go and read this. He says, I will. Please, read it, and if it helps you, helps you ensure anyone else does not die. 
then do with it what you will. He goes back to his translation, continuing his work as if nothing happened. You once okay, again... I return to my bunk. Yep. You once again make a meager meal for dinner, and then after that, you, uh, Myra, return to your bunk. Victor comes in as well. Victor, is there anything you'd like to do before you go to bed? Very well. Victor retires to his hammock and goes to sleep. And as he goes to sleep... Oh, I'm having the same yeah. issues. Ah, I was yes. trying to talk the entire time. Ah, <laughs> yep, yep. Is there anything you wish to do before retiring? Uh, yes. I would like um, to... Basically, go over my notes and see like what could. Oh, you, we lost you again, uh, Tom. Maybe uh, exit and enter the. Yeah, exit voice and enter chat the again. chat. Exit, exit uh, and enter the voice chat. I, I've again. just, oh. I've just switched my headphones over to another USB. Oh, so okay, oh, yeah, that's that's doing it. Oh. Yep. So, what would you like to do? Um. Okay. So basically, I'd like to, because I'm assuming I wouldn't have been present for that conversation there. I would have no, been. No, no, you're, you're like, you. I assume you were like questioning the guy in the boat and making yeah. sure that Mike got uh, down to the first aid room safely. And sure, um, I'd like to um, have a quick meeting with the um, expedition leader. And go like, look, nothing's going down as it's supposed to. We've lost two people already. Something about this doesn't smell right. He looks up at you from his translation, his face red. As you entered his cabin, you saw Myra leaving with a look of with a tense look on her face, and Matheson looks at you and he says, Yes, we've lost two men. It's unfortunate, but they were hired on for a reason, and they knew the risks. I was going to say, I turn to him and I look at him serious and I go, Yeah, they knew the risk as far as I knew the risk. And I don't, and I'm pretty sure I'm not aware of the full extent of the risk. So please, if you'd level with me. <laughs> Make a persuade check, please. Uh, pass. He just gestures towards the door and says, I already told her. Go speak to her. You wouldn't believe what I have to say anyway. I turn away and I'll go follow Myra. Um, just to save a bit of time and conversation. Is yep. there anything you'd like to eat from me? Uh, no, I tell you everything. Yep, cool. so you, you tell Victor that you saw these strange men push the block. I even tell him the backstory of um, the Hyperboreans at the big site yep. with the Vikings. So, over the next half hour or so, uh, as it gets dark outside and the wind begins to pick up, a, uh, Myra tells you of an expedition that she was on a month ago the same one that I described at the start of this session, where the members of the dig discovered artifacts that were older than human civilization, older than the Vikings that they originally thought that, uh, were the source of these artifacts. 
and how there were many references in the artifacts, in the relics and their texts to Hyperborea or the Hyperboreans and how the name Thogua appeared once or twice as a protector or guardian of sorts of these Hyperboreans. Okay. Alright, I do have one preparation I'd like to make before I go to sleep. I'm assuming we're doing the same thing tomorrow? Yes, although it will be the <laughs> final day. No, I ain't going. Okay. Um, I'm going to sit up a bit before bed, and uh, I'm going to quickly jot down a new uh, sort of pattern of tether points to, like, basically redo the things a bit. So basically what I'm looking for is to make it look like there's a perfect spot to drop a bunch of ice to kill us all at once. And then I'm going to um, use my mountaineering skills to undermine the place that you'd have to stand in order to drop that blo block of ice. Yep. So I'd like you to make a survival check, please. Uh, I'll spend two luck points on that. Yep. So you draw up a rough sketch of the scaffolding and determine that uh, the spot where the ice was dropped from was perhaps the most dangerous place. It is unlikely that a similar assault could be done from any other point other than that specific spot. And so if you could possibly stretch out the uh, scaffolding and have everyone along the wall in greater intervals, you would be able to increase their safety. Good. Um, can I also work out, as I said, how to undermine an area where they would stand, so if they try and stand on it to drop stuff on us, the shelf will collapse and probably drop them into the drink? The only thing you can think of is using, uh, using spikes to weaken the ice, causing it to collapse under their weight. And you could think of a couple of locations where this could be done, but it would be a double-edged sword in that uh, if too much weight was on the scaffolding, you might pull the glacier down upon your own team as well. Mm. Weakening the glacier would make it dangerous for anyone who would be okay, on it. Jot down my plan, and I... I basically walk into the um, expedition leader's tent and go, alright, I'm still in, but under two conditions. Name one, them, says Matheson. One, the security of this is put up to me, and two, we halve the amount of people going up the next day. It'll just be the reporter. Basically, I just outline all the party members and I'm saying they're the only ones I'm taking with me. I mean, to be fair, we yeah. kind of already halved the amount of people that are going up there anyway. Yeah, yeah so it yeah, might, no. might literally just be you and Arkansas going up and Buell. Yes, that'll be it. Yeah. Matheson frowns and he says, Very well. We'll work as carefully as we can over the next few days and hopefully avoid any more accidents. 
That won't no accident, says Buell, looking over at him. Look, I know that we're looking into some things that we shouldn't be thinking about. And somebody knows that, and they're trying to make sure we don't find out anything else about it. Ha! Says Matheson, brushing the hair with brushing the air with his hand. Oh man, he, he, I'll give him credit. He's done a good job of uh, knuckling down on this whole. Yeah, but I don't believe in this crap act. You make an agreement with him, and then you retire to your cabin, Myra. Would you like to try and read the uh, notes that Matheson has provided you? Yes. Very I'll well. I'll have to stay up as long as I need to overnight. Yep. You light the small lantern next to your bunk, pull out the shard, pull out the out down shards, and as uh, Victor Carrisburg loudly snores in his hammock on the other side of the cabin, you start to read them. Please make an English language check. How the fuck do I fail that when I have an 80? I'm pushing it. Yes, you can push it. <laughs> and that's a hard pass. So, as uh, Matheson said, this book contains what is purported to be an accurate translation of hieroglyphics found on fragments of broken pottery brought out of the interior of Greenland in 1903. You determine that the hieroglyphics are yet another variant of Old Norse. Not quite the same thing as the hieroglyphics you've been translating over the last few days, and not quite the same thing as the runes that were on the idol a month ago, but clearly related to both. It appears that this translation is what gave Matheson his drive to find out more about the Hyperboreans, as he appears to have read his own translations many times. He's crossed out words, placed them with others, and iterated on his own notes many, many times. His translations appear to be a very, very basic uh, history of the land of Hyperborea, a lost continent of which Greenland and Scandinavia were once a part, long before the Ice Age, when a, civili a pre-human civilization known as the Vormus dominated the land millions of years ago, long before the Ice Age and long before modern humans were even a thing. He writes that from the information he's been able to glean, he is not sure of... Uh, he is not sure exactly whether the Vormus and the Hyperboreans are indeed the same thing, as they seem to be uh, referenced interchangeably in some texts. Here is what, here is the portion of his notes that appears to be most significant to you. Put it in the chat so you may read it. Okay. Okay. Behold the story of our people, the children of Zothakwa. We, the Vormus, followed the voice of our god to this valley and constructed a great city in his honour. Last built was this temple, a monument to Zothakra. The high priest bound the guardian and was anointed Zothakra's way to rest. Oh, was anointed in, in Zothakra's way. Yep. way to rest eternally behind the altar. 
As the cold winds came, some heretics answered the call, the heathen god Adakru, praying to be spared from the endless winter. Zothakru's children fought against the rise of Adakru and forced his faithful from the valley where they travelled south. One day, the pale-skinned ones arrived in the valley on boats of skin, and we, the faithful of Zothakwa, taught them of civilization and sorcery. Yet the followers of Adakwa... I'm pretty sure I've just said that four different times. <laughs> okay. Different ways. Four different ways. Uh, Adakwa conspired far to the south, and still the endless winter came to our valley. Now Zothakwa honours the pale-skinned ones with his favour to grow great as we once were to avenge us of the freezing winds. Please make a sand check. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Uh, oh, fuck off! Every time I've done a sun check today that I've failed, it has been in the 90s. A 90s, yes. So that was a fail. Okay, uh, you lose 1d3 sand. Okay. Um, once you've explained everything, there are a couple of Cthulhu checks that I want to make based yes. on that note. So you lose 1d3 San. Uh, so there two. is also Ah, uh, yes, two, yep. There is also in the notes what to your eye looks to be the directions to cast a spell or ritual. It is simply labelled Contact Formless Spawn. <sighs> Okay. On the last page in the bundle, there is a single sentence written. It simply says, The Gnop Tear brings the blizzards. Oh god, I have so many Cthulhu checks that I want to make. <laughs> oh my god, the. the, the so there's one, the yeah, for the text itself, one for the spell, and one for this Gnop Tear, at least, I think. Well, no, I want to ask what the Vormis are. Yep. Um, this text. Um, um, da, 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 the heathen god uh, Adakwu. Yep. So that's three. Um, and then the skin people. Yep. So okay, so uh, go ahead <laughs> and make more Cthulhu Mythos checks, please. Uh, I'm going to push that first one. That's a fail. Second Cthulhu Mythos. I'm not spending luck, so I'm pushing that. Fail. Third one is an eight. So that's a pass. So that's a pass. That's one pass. And now for my fourth one, I'm going to push. And that's a fail. <laughs> okay, so what one thing would you like to know the answer to? Hmm. Um, what was the last sentence again? Uh, the Not the information about it, just the, the sentence. The Gnop Care brings the blizzards. The Gnop Um. Well, we've suffered a blizzard, so I would like to know about the Gnop Yep. Okay. Your heart sinks as you read the words Gnop Care, and you recall the texts that you've read barely a month ago that describes what they are. 
sharp-horned, coarse-haired beings with six long limbs superficially resembling a polar bear found in Greenland and the Arctic Circle. Empowered with blizzard summoning powers and reducing temperatures around them to the freezing point, they are said to have control over winter itself. Lovely. So now we know exactly what they are. They're, so polar bear equals. Ganopke. Uh, can you Ganopke. spell that G N O P H. P-H uh, Hyphen Hyphen K-E-H K-E-H Good yeah. luck You probably spelled death just as easily Yeah <laughs> Yeah uh, so, <laughs> Magical So, uh, yeah Blizzard bringers <laughs> Six legged polar bears in the power over all winter Why are we here? Furthermore, okay. you can determine that now that you know what now you know what the polar bear and the six-legged beast in the translations is you can determine that it is not the same entity as the formless guardian of the city yeah um oh, i don't know how i'll be able to ask if i can confirm this but myra is thinking that the elf looking people are the skin Pale skin. Uh, pale skin. Um, and the did I see how pale their skin was? Uh, well, it seemed it was definitely not dark skin. But without a very, without a closer look at them, you wouldn't know if it's exactly pale. Okay, so I'll write that down as a question mark, actually. So oh. essentially, Myra, your theory is this. Correct me if I'm wrong. The pale skins referred to in the text are the strange men you saw, and also what the image on the stone wall is depicting. And the Vormus, yes. the Vormus are the, what you know as Hyperboreans, the furry, humanoid, ape-like beings. Yes, those are my two uh, theories going forward. Very well. And the elf-looking people are the pale skins, and the Vormus are the Hyperborean. Yeah, that you're aware of. And at some point, according to this text, the pale skins arrived in this area, and the Vormus taught them of civilization. So, if your theory is correct, they're both technically Hyperboreans, as they were both part of the nation of Hyperborea, but... Oh, so Hyperborean is like calling an Australian an Australian. Yes. Oh, so your oh, theory, therefore, shit. is that the Vormus and the Pale Ones were both inhabitants, were both Hyperboreans in a sense. It's just that the word Hyperborean is what you've been using to refer to what may be the Vormus. Yeah. Okay, okay. So that so is got, your theory? So I've got three theories going forward here. So if any of those... So, um, seeing as how next week is the conclusion of yes. this scenario, you probably won't find out if your theory is right until next week, but... No, yeah, just, yeah, that's yep, So just note down what your theory is. Yeah, so both Hyperboreans, elf-looking people are pale skins, Vormus are the traditional Hyperboreans. Yep. 
Would you like to attempt to learn the spell Contact Formless Spawn? If you do this tonight, you won't get any sleep. However, there will be time to do it in the downtime next week if you want to do it then. I would like to try... Can I make another Cthulhu check to see if I've heard of this spell? Yes, you may go ahead and do that. So I would like to know what the spell is before I try to learn it. I'm going to push. Uh, no, I don't know what it is. Um, I guess there's no harm in learning it as long as I don't yeah. use it. Well, you, the only thing you have to go on, based on your failed check, is the name of the spell. Contact yeah. Formless Spawn. You know yeah. that the Formless Spawn may be the Formless Guardian entity that guards the centre of the city. It is not oh, the Gnoth Care. Okay. So, yeah, I will try to learn it. Yep. Very well. Um, uh, I would like yeah. you to please make a power check. Power. My power is 58, because you took two power last session. Yes. Uh, ah, it's a pass. You managed to memorise the text of the spell and the hand motions it describes in order to cast it, but it takes you most of the night, and you do not get any sleep. You put the you fold the paper up and slide it under your pillow, just as Victor Carasberg stops snoring and groans as he climbs out of his hammock next to you. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep the paper hidden and the yep. knowledge of this spell hidden until. If I survive, obviously, um, until I know who's going to be more, like, who's going to be journeying with us That's if we need to enough. head to this place. So everyone else, uh, you have a relatively restful night, as you're not staying up yeah. studying Cthulhu Mythos all night. I would like you all <laughs> to make lizard checks, please. And I can try, but I'm pretty sure I spend the night in bed, babe. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Just, yeah, ow. But my ears are still pretty good, so... Yeah, that's a hard pass. Hard pass. It's a regular pass for me. Yep. And Victor? I think I know what his list is anyway. 100. 58. Tom, you may have to type if um, you can't talk. 35, that's a pass anyway. So, um... As you all settle down for the night, um, the winds outside roar, and just before midnight, those of you who are awake can't help but notice that the winds are getting stronger and stronger, and soon the roar of the wind uh, is accompanied by the sound of small pieces of ice and snow uh, pounding at the portholes and the hull of the ship like hailstones or bullets uh, pattering away at the metal and as you fall asleep a blizzard raises outside and rages outside and just before unconsciousness takes you you hear somewhere off in the distance a terrible roar are you ready for the final day. 
<laughs> if I say no, is it going to push it further back? It will push <laughs> it till next week if you no. say no. Dawn of the final day. No, yeah. Dawn of... Wait, what? <laughs> Dawn of the final day. Okay. And so, you awaken at the crack of dawn as you've become used to doing over the last week. And as you get up... You go to look out the porthole of the cabin and find it completely caked in with snow and frost. You are unable yeah. to see anything outside. All you can hear is the wind, the strong wind still blowing, the sounds of hailstones and ice pelting the ship outside. And shortly after you awaken, you are called to the mess hall by Professor Matheson. You all gather around as some of the sailors start to serve a meagre breakfast while they stop and listen to the wind and murmur amongst themselves about whether any work will even get done today. But there's Professor Matheson claps his hands together and he says, Well, as you know, we've had some accidents over the past few days. <laughs> Looks over at uh, looks over at Mike, who is still wrapped in bandages. He's able to move under his own power, but as he moves, he walks stiff. Clearly, still in some degree of pain. Mm -hmm. Matheson says, "And uh, we've awoken this morning to appears uh, the thick of a blizzard." He says, "I've also been advised by uh, guide." He jams his thumb over his shoulder at Victor, who nods. Uh, that, uh, for the sake of safety, uh, going forward, we should only uh, allow a maximum of three people uh, on the mountaineering team at a time. He says, I was going to get us... He says, with that provision in mind, I was going to allow us to basically go ahead business as usual myself and the translation team still have at least four blocks of text to get through, but Buell, Buell brushes some red hair out of his face and he says, well, I've been thinking about it all night, and I'm saying I don't think it's quite safe to head out there today. Matheson looks at him and he says, yes, uh, it seems that young Terence here doesn't think it will be safe to go out today. Terence folds his arms and says, No, and you won't get me out there on that mountaineering team, no matter how much you want to pay me. Matheson frowns, and he says, Well, with that in mind, I am prepared to suspend the mountaineering team today, focus entirely on the translations, but those of you who are part of the mountaineering team, I'll leave it in your hands. If you think it is an acceptable risk, we shall proceed... As per usual. Yeah, Mike Moxley hasn't moved from where he's sitting and has no intention of doing so. Yeah, <laughs> like, Mike Moxley just folds his arms says, yeah, I'm yeah, not going yeah, not there just, again. Yeah, I was going to say, tries to fold one of his arms, and tries to fold his arms and just gives up because one of them just doesn't seem to work right. <laughs> just, yeah, no, even if I was getting paid enough for this, I'm still not going out there like this. Very well. Uh, Arkansas Smith. Well, it was uh, a lot that happened in the last couple of days, and it doesn't look like the weather's got any better, so 
depending on uh, your uh, your thoughts there, uh, Victor, we uh, might be best to take today as a as a translation day. Very well, Victor. What are your thoughts on this? He's having audio issues again. Um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, I'll just get him. Hang on, I'll see if I can uh, just give him a call with my phone and see if I can tell him to exit out and back again. I'll be back in a sec. Julius of an oak internet. I am liking this episode. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Almost dying, <laughs> but you know, kind of saw that one coming. I like uh, that somehow I'm becoming the spellcaster again. <laughs> <laughs> and this time I didn't try to do it. No. Nice and inadvertent crap. Like, I just wanted to take photographs. You threw off on a mountain. We kind of saw where this was all going to go. <laughs> yep. I just need to try and go get him some of those fancy zoom lenses so he doesn't need to leave the boat. Oh, yeah, no. Audio, audio issues. Oh, there we go. Cool. Uh, okay, he's, uh, he's back. Yep, he's back. Apologies about this. Yep, so... Starting ironing out some technical issues. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, Victor, um... Matheson has decided that today, as the party has woken up and there appears to be a nasty blizzard going on outside, he has left it in the hands of the mountaineering team whether they would, whether they want to actually risk climbing up the glacier not in a today. Blizzard. Not yep. in a blizzard, no. Yep, there you go. So Victor has said not in a blizzard, so Arkansas, what's your ord? What's your answer? Well, if our... Chief uh, Mountaineer thinks it's not uh, great, then uh, we'll, we'll, I'll stick with the translation today. Give them a hand. Very well, says Matheson. Uh, I would like to reassign Buell and Arkansas to the translation team today, then. Uh, Victor, you've recently taken it upon yourself to be Chief of Security. I would like you to assemble some of the men and wait on the deck of the ship and ensure that we suffer no damage from the blizzard or otherwise while the rest of the team translates. Uh, before we head off, I'm going to pull Matheson aside. Yep. As everyone else leaves the mess hall ready to get on with the day's work. You and I look around, yep. make sure it's just us two. Yep. You, you linger behind, wait for everyone else to leave, and then walk up and place your hand on Matheson's shoulder. He sighs and he says, Yes, what is it, my dear? Uh, well, your notes. Um, I know what a Nofcare is. He looks at you, he raises his eyebrows, and he says, Well, do enlighten me. Well, you know that uh, rubbing that we got of the six-legged polar bear? He says, That's a Nofcare. The six-legged polar bear, is it? Yes, uh... They're magical, and they bring blizzards. And can drop the temperature, and are extremely dangerous. His face goes pale, 
And he looks at you and he says, Well, if it's just a polar bear, Mr. Karasberg will have it well in hand. No, did you not hear the words magical? Now, before he even can have a chance to talk, now, I also know what their weaknesses are. He they are afraid of fire. Do we have supplies at every entrance to this ship? We can have stuff to make torches. He says we have fire, we have coal for the engine and for the stoves, ample matches to light lanterns, some kerosene. We didn't come out here to burn things. No, well, I think we're going to need to make some makeshift torches and just have some emergency torches at the doorways to all... H doorway to this ship. Um, so that am I there? You can be told this. In, you can be told this second. Well, actually, yeah. We'll say you're there because you you were told you're kind of in on it. So, because I've a bar- I've scotch or whiskey that I've I've ordered. I mm. have. Did did we get the? Did I get the whiskey as we came in? Remember um, from the start? Um, you do remember uh, you passed a small settlement on the way to here, and some cargo was brought aboard the ship. Um, in the interest of not raising attention, you didn't check it to make sure, but you are relatively certain that it's the whiskey you ordered. Alright. Um, well, I have something flammable there. Yeah, well... I'm not entirely sure that they're here to attack us. Maybe they're just... If this blizzard is caused by them, and and to be fair, this could be a natural blizzard. But these things cause blizzards, and they may be trying to scare us away. And if we don't leave during the blizzard, it may decide to take matters into a more physical persuasion. Um, Just have some fire around nearby in case we are attacked, I would think. Matheson sighs. He says, so what is what is your plan? Stand on deck and wait for this thing to show up? Trap well, the entrances with you're, whiskey? You're and... the one who told the security team to stand on deck. But now you have the security captain here. You can think up a new idea with him if you want. I'm just telling you the information that I got from your notes that you gave me last night. Very well, says Matheson. He says, Mr. Karasberg, you know what we're up against. How would you like to approach this? Um, well... Mm. Okay, so if he says it's weak to fire, I suggest we turn the whiskey I ordered. Um into uh, some Molotovs and bring them with us. He nods. He says, Uh, well, any other time I would discipline you for bringing contraband aboard aboard the Miskatonic University vessel. I feel that this is not the time. Very well. Uh... Myra and uh, I, Myra and I will also have you inform Mr. Moxley. I'm assigning you both to uh, work under Mr. Karasberg today to keep the rest of us safe from this blizzard. 
whatever awaits in it, while myself and the translation team continue working on the texts. Well, uh, honestly, uh, I'm happy to do that, but I just don't know how much use I would be as a defense against a creature. He nods and looks at your sword and he says, You have a sword there and I'm sure you can throw something. Okay. He says, it's up to you if you feel you would be better served translating. I won't argue. It's up to... I just feel that Mr. Carisberg will want as many hands on the deck. Well, Victor, do you think I would be better used for you or translating? Uh, at this point, it really is a 50-50. Um, every gun is welcome, I suppose. Okay, then I will join you. Very well. Um, and so you depart, uh, Myra and Karasberg, uh, catching up with Mike Moxley and telling him that he's required on deck. And Mike, your body is groaning with pain, but once they tell you that there's a chance to sight a six-legged polar bear in this, mm -hmm. you're probably following along quite eagerly, ready to take photos. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on one hand picture. I mean, on one hand, you have a picture of an ancient animal that people probably have never seen before. On the other hand, violent, gruesome death. What's to lose? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Archibald and Matheson, Archibald, Matheson, Buell, and uh, Arkansas retreat to Matheson's cabin to conduct their translations. The rest of you take position on the deck. Pulling your clothes tight around you, doing your best to blanket out the freezing cold blizzard winds. You cannot see more than a metre over the side of the ship. Everything is bathed in a thick white fog of ice and snowflakes and white powder swirling in the air. You can just barely make out the black square-shaped silhouette of the stone still hang, still half-submerged in the water at the end of the fjord. Uh, Arkansas, I would like you to please make an anthropology, archaeology, and Norse role. You may substitute any skill you don't have for intelligence. Oh, that'll be stopping at the anthropology, the archaeology, and Norse. And the first one, push that, and that is a pass for archaeology. Yep. Okay. What is, uh, so you've got pass on all three? That is a pass for Norse, and yep. you said it was intelligence? Yep, if you don't have uh, anthropology. Yep, and that is a hard pass for intelligence. Ah, uh, so okay. Two, two so, and a half pass. I would like you to make a luck check, please, to see if this portion of the wall contains useful information. That is a pass. You translate, after several hours of work, your block of text, and the inscription says, if one wishes to visit the mountain city, he is required to speak with the formless servant. Those of you who are on deck, uh, what would you like to do? 
Uh, well, I'm guessing that I'm now dressed up in my yep, in your um, crazy outfit. Yep. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just making sure that I don't see a big lumbering shape come flying out of the. So just yeah, just keeping watch. Just keeping watch. Uh, Victor, what are you doing on deck? Alright, I'll go use my climbing skills to shimmy up to the highest point so I can see what's coming. Um, I'll leave... I'll leave as many people with a Molotov to throw as possible. Yep. Um, how many guns do I have on deck? So you have, uh, you have three, uh, four, including yourself. And those below deck could be brought ab above deck if they need to be. Okay. Mm hmm. Alright, I'll set up a... I'll take to the higher point see... Is, can I see anything coming in now? You can't. Cool. Alright, I reckon we set up a barricade um, at the entrance to below deck that we can defend, um, fall back to and defend if we need. Yep. And then aside from that, it's just, you know, have rifles. Uh, oh, I think, um... Do we have any, like, butter or lard? Yeah, oh, yeah, or of anything course. Else, both? Yeah, yes, of course. Right. Um, I would like to grease uh, all the banisters and... So basically, any metal surfaces that they're trying to climb up on, I'd like grease up. So, boarding yeah, so... the, the vehicle would be as hard as humanly possible. Yep. So, you have some supplies brought up from below deck. Um, your crate of whiskey that did arrive unharmed. And uh, start having the crew who don't have guns to fashion them into Molotov cocktails, while those with rifles stand on the edge of the deck waiting half expecting something to jump out. You, uh, would you then like to start greasing up the side of the ship? Or would anyone like to join you? Myra, would, would like you to... like to join that? Uh, sure, I'll join that. Alright, so I would Come. like, uh, Karasberg and Myra to please make climb checks. Uh, that's a extreme pass from me. How did okay. Myra go? I need to roll. 24 or lower. I'm going to push that because 96 push is not below 24. Uh, that's a normal pass. Woo. That's a normal pass. Okay, so the two of you climb down the side of the boat carefully and start putting a layer of lard on sections of the ship where anything might try to climb up the ladder. Um, the front near where the helm is, the back uh, near where the cabins are, and you spend the next two hours uh, 
painting a layer of lard on the hull of the ship while shivering from the blizzard that just won't seem to let up. I would like everybody to make a listen check, please. Mm, that's a pass. That is an eight, so that is a hard pass. Hard pass, yep. Hard pass to me. About 11 a.m. Fail. Fail, yep. About 11 a.m., but this is a group pass. You all hear the sound of a terrible crash once again, like a mountain being cleaved in two. And down below deck, you arc it. So you get up and you move to the porthole and move, use your hand to move some of the frost and condensation away. And you see what the others above deck see. Though, whether you're standing on deck or hanging along the side of the hole, uh, spraying lard, you see the stone shift in the water as there is as, as it shakes and you feel a shockwave hit the ship and rocket wa freezing water splashing against the side of the hull the wall breaks loose from the glacier and with a deafening grating noise slides directly down into the water below anyone who was on it would have been plunged into the sea. Oh. No. The blizzard continues blowing, growing stronger and stronger and stronger as Myra and Victor continue lathering lard on the side of the ship as the men above watch and wait with their guns. Mike Moxley, what are you doing? Um, I mean, I'm trying to just keep out of people's way for the most part, because, you know, still injured, can't be much help. I might be up on deck just getting the camera ready in case of things going bad. Will I be able to actually take a picture as the, um, yeah, if you could... cliff collapses, if I can get it? Okay, make a photography check with disadvantage, please. Disadvantage. It's uh, a regular pass. You set up your camera, and as the ship rocks, uh, you hold your tripod to your chest, leaning against it to steady both yourself and it, and you snap a photo of the rock pitching into the water, the flash bulb blinking out into the white fog. Down below deck, Arkansas is uh, translating the next uh, next block of text. Arkansas, please make your archaeology, Norse, and intelligence checks. Alright, so... Push that one. That is one pass. Yep. That is... A hard pass. And that is another hard pass. Two hards and an all. You quickly work over the next block of text. There are two left untranslated at the end of this hour. And above, 
after you see the rock pitch into the ocean, you hear the men above shouting, you hear Moxley call, Oh my god, what a money shot! And <laughs> you put the finishing touches on your translation. You lift it up and read it, and your heart sinks. A piece of information that came too late. The Gnopcare is angered by the sun. The flashbulb rings out into the white fog, and about oh, five shit. seconds after the photo is taken, the camera whirs, and then you all hear it. The sound of a terrifying roar. Well, I've done this all. Sorry. What does everyone else do? Shit their pants. <laughs> uh, well, I got my picture. Time you hook back in the ship. Bye. <laughs> uh, uh, Mira is Mara. Mira, I forget even my character's name now. Um, is just holding onto the Molotov cocktail. Yep, holding and... onto the Molotov cocktail. You're not going to cli- try to climb back up to deck. Uh, am I still hanging off the side? You are. You're still. Oh, I'm still up hanging the up the side. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to try and get back up then, I guess. Yep. Oh, actually, am I hanging off the side as you well? You still are, yep. You're still lighting up the ship. Uh, how much of the ship's left to light up? About a third of it. Mm. You're a bet you've completed just over half of your job. It was going to take several hours. What would you like actually, to do? Actually, in my backstory, because you know my backstory, yep. would I have heard a roar before it happened? Yes, you did. You do okay, remember yeah, hearing so a roar. Okay, yeah, so yeah, my character, Myra, shit, like, yeah. just starts trying to run. You're, yeah, you're just going to start, you're going you're gonna to drop off the ship and run on the ice. Uh, no, I'm going to try and climb back up. Right, climb back up. Yeah, your mind flashes back that night in the woods with your husband. The terrifying roar you heard before those things set upon you, tearing his face right off before your eyes, and you scramble to climb back up the ship. Please make a climb check. No, that's a 71. Okay, I'm going to push that. Why does the 7 in the 1 look so similar? That's better, that's a pass. You start scrambling up the ship. It's Actually, hard. It's a hard pass. It's hard now that there's lard, but you make it about halfway up to the deck and scramble as fast as you can. Victor, are you going to continue trying to lard the ship? Uh, I'm going to bail off the job and um, ascend onto deck. Yep. Please make a climb check as well. Uh, can I push that? You can. Uh, I'll spend four luck. Yep. So you both pass your climb check. You drop the bottle, you drop the buckets of lard, and they splash into the ocean, and you start to scramble up the side of the ship. You're almost there, almost near the top of the deck, about two metres away, when you hear the roar again, and then the sound of ice crushing under a great weight, and then someone on deck shouts, There it is! There it is! And two gunshots. Bang! Bang! And another roar as a great terrifying shadow leaps out of the fog and starts bounding 
seemingly across the surface of the water using small shards of ice as stepping stones running towards the ship. It resembles a polar bear, but only for a second. That's before you notice the sharp crescent-shaped horn, the teeth that are almost as long as a grown man's arm and the extra pair of legs, not to mention its eyes which glow red, looking like lantern lights peering out of the out of the fog. The Gnoc um, care has arrived. There it is, so you can uh, see what it looks like. Are we oh, on the no. Are we on the boat yet, or are we still dangling off You're the side? You're still dangling off the side, but you've got a bit higher, so it will it will I'm help inside. you. The Gnopcare stops on a collapsed piece of glacier floating in the water, about, about ten feet from the boat, and then it climbs up onto its hind legs, opens its mouth and roars, pounding its furry chest with its middle set of appendages. Bang! Bang! The men fire again, their bullets slam uselessly into the uh, into the ice next to the Gnopcare, making um, small hairline cracks begin to crisscross across it. Um, large flammable, isn't it? Yes, large is flammable. Uh, also, our ship is. Well, to an extent. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking fucking modern day ships. Yeah. We would, I we mean, would be I on mean, a wooden boat, wouldn't well, we? Well, no, it's oh, not wood. No, it's huh? just it's not wood. It's metal, but there would be... I wouldn't be setting fire to a ship just yet. Meanwhile, Arkansas, you hear the gunshots and the shouting from above. Matheson briefly looks up, and then he looks at you. You notice his face is deathly pale. And then he looks, he looks back down and begins feverishly scribbling over his translation, determined to get it done. He frowns, he says, they'll keep us safe. They'll keep us safe. What would you like to do, Arkansas? Would you like to stay down here or would you like to go up and help? Um, can I assist with that last translation or...? You may, yes. You throw your translation aside and move over to Matheson and pull the picture of the glyphs towards you, and the two of you begin to work, feverishly attempting to translate the arcane runes. Meanwhile, above deck, I would like uh, Victor and Myra to please tell me what their dex is. Uh, my dex is 60, 55. 60 and 55, okay, what is your luck? 1836. As the two of you continue scrambling up, seeing the edge of the ship's railing above you, reaching out your hand to grab onto it, the Gnopter roars again, and as the uh, cracks from the bullet hole extend outwards and the piece of glacier be begins to sink, it springs back its hind legs and leaps off the piece of glacier, swinging its thick, uh, bear-like arms in Myra's direction. Myra, you may make a dodge check with advantage as you're almost near the top of the ship. Okay, with advantage. 
Close combat. Oh god, no, no, that's a fail. This is yeah. This well, yeah. This is technically combat, so that's a fail. Yeah, it's a fail. Mara's um, gonna die. She might. We have to see <laughs> what happens with the Gnop here. Ninety-nine. The Gnop here swings its claws at you, and you see them catch the dim sunlight and glisten, almost as if they're made of steel. And you shriek and kick out with your legs, striking the Gnop tear under its mouth, knocking it just off trajectory. It misses you and buries its sharp claws into the side of the hole, tearing right through the metal. You take this chance to scramble the rest of the way up the ship, pull yourself over the railing and lie on the deck, breathing, breathing heavily, your heart beating in terror. Did I have a Molotov? Yes, you I can't did. I remember if I had one. As you climb over the side of the deck, uh, Karasberg, Karasberg climbs over the other side and his thick hiking boots thump down on the deck. One of the sailors with a rifle rushes over to you, Myra, to pull you up to your feet. He grabs your hand, helps you up, and then runs to the edge of the ship and points his rifle down. You hear the Gnopter roar and a great white furry arm reaches up grabs the man, and as he screams, ah! pulls him over the side of the ship. You hear him scream for a few seconds more, and then the creature roars, the scream abruptly stops, and you hear what right. sounds like a sickening crack. I would like everyone to make, everyone except Arkansas, who's below deck, to make sand checks, please. Uh, uh, oh, I failed that because I got 54. Okay. Which I would have had last sand. <laughs> For a fail, that's going to be 1d10 sand loss, please. Oh, fuck oh, you. Oh, good! Oh, fuck you! <laughs> oh, no! I just lost 10 stats. Nine. Nine! Nine! Mike, how'd you go? And I'm gonna need to go soon. That's Sorry. okay, we're nearly ending. So you just have to roll an intelligence yeah. check now to stop going insane. Yep. Intelligence check, lovely. I got a extreme pass. Oh, and of course I get a fucking pass now. Got your intelligence yeah, check, yep. You know, extreme pass! Extreme pass, Mike, you passed your check, so you got, uh, you only lose 1d4. No, 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 oh. no, no, no. Oh, so all no, three Mike, of you are insane. Yeah, Mike failed and then got a high extreme pass on the on the intelligence check. So no, he's gone. <laughs> I, 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 I failed. I failed the insanity check and extreme pass yep. the intelligence check. Okay, okay. So, I failed yeah. in the past. Yeah. So I need yes, the is. three of you to tell me your decks, please. Uh, 60. 60. 65. 65. Well, and I yeah, I already know Myra's. Okay, Mike, your first yep. impulse is that this is the money shot you've been waiting for. In spite of yourself, in spite of yourself, you hear yourself saying, Oh boy, what a scoop! And you grab the yep. tripod, rush to the very edge of the deck where you saw the man go over, and not even bothering to set up the tripod, you just raise the camera to your face and point it over the edge of the deck. Yep, Mike, come to Papa. Mike, please make a dodge check. <laughs> you watch me fail this one. What the hell even is my dodge chick? Um, um, 
This technically counts as combat, doesn't it? Yes. Okay, well, it's been nice knowing you all. Because, yeah, no, I failed by a wide margin. You peek your camera over the edge and start rapidly pressing the button to take photos of the Gnopped yeah. hair, which, down below, standing on a... Uh, hanging from the hull of the ship using one of its hands to anchor it into place, its claws dug into the metal. It holds the broken body of the sailor in its other hand and using its huge teeth is rending the flesh off his bones. It hears the whir of your camera, looks up, tosses the body aside, uh, tosses the body aside and it splashes into the water, sinking like a pebble. The creature roars and then, and then using, uh, its, using its five remaining arms, hoists itself away from the hole, springing up at you, swinging its arms wildly. Can, do I have enough time to at least have some lost words before it attacks me? Yes, you do. <laughs> Literally just over the side, all you can hear is going, Come on, big guy, show me what you're made of! <laughs> <laughs> that is a 96! In spite of your insanity, knowing, in spite of your insanity, you know that death is coming. You see the claws glisten in the sunlight, and then the lard that has been lathered over the side of the ship comes into effect. The how, did he, how badly did he fail? He got a 96. Okay, I got a 61 on my fail. And so. what's your dodge? My dodge is 32. His fight is 50, so he failed worse than you. Um, <laughs> you, you see him, you see his, uh, you see his claws come out of the side of the hull, and as he slashes to try and get you, he pokes his claws into the side of the hull again, trying to get leverage. But thanks to the lard that Myra uh, lathered over the side of the ship, he is unable to get a. He's unable to get the leverage he needs, and his front paws slip. You see the claws slash at you, merely inches from your face, and then the Gnopter roars as he falls backwards off the side of the ship, landing on a flat piece of floating glacier below. Hooray! Can I roll to see what I got for my photography to see if Yes, go I... ahead, roll your photography <laughs> with disadvantage. <laughs> if I'm not gonna die immediately, I might as well at least try to get something out of this. Okay, it's a 35, so that's a hard pass. 35, that's a hard pass. Okay, that, yeah, you managed to somehow snap a photo of it just as it was jumping up to grab you. And satisfied that you have the money shot, you let the insanity roll over, you sink down to your knees, Clutching the tripod in your hands and just laughing. <laughs> yep. uh, yay. Okay, uh, Myra, in your temporary insanity, you. Uh, I'd like you to make a power check, please, actually. Because you are the uh, only person who knew what the Gnop Care was. And you may push it. Push. Fail. <laughs> I've got a 76 Fail. and a 75. Yep. Uh, you, once again, your mind is flooded with images of your husband, of those strange ape-like creatures tearing apart your campsite, grabbing your husband, twisting his neck, and him going limp with a loud crack. 
one of them looking at you with hunger written on its face and bounding towards you, reaching out its palm for your head. You draw your sword and think of fighting the Gnoth care, but instead you find yourself sinking. You find yourself woozy, the ship rocking, knocking you off your feet, and you land on your back on the deck and simply start whimpering. Victor, yeah, Victor Harrisburg, you've just be you see, uh, pulling the uh, pulling one of the sailors over the side of the ship and nearly uh, killing Mike, the biggest polar bear you have ever seen. You remember your father saying that your adventuring, your mountaineering, your pointless safaris were a waste of time. And then you realise that this thing's head would look fantastic on your mantelpiece. Oh, you'll show him. You'll show your father. You are going to be the one who bags a creature never before captured by man. Like every white dude that has come before me, I will slay you. (laughs) (laughs) And so, in spite of yourself, you find yourself reaching for your firearm and, and My walking, reaching for your handgun, making well, it's sure it's big bare hand, like the big basically bear revolver. Yep. Mm. Ma- flipping open the barrel, making sure it has all six rounds, and then raising it up in the air as you confidently make your way to the edge of the ship. You peer over the side of the ship and you see the Gnoth Care standing precariously on a portion of ice that's half submerged in the water uh, using it uh, it's now back down on all fours using its middle legs to try and maintain its footing on the piece of ice it sees you it sees you looking over the side of the deck and it looks up at you and roars and starts to climb once again onto its hind legs, which you see springing, preparing to well, leap at you. Because I'm mad, do you mind if I smash the um, Molotov cocktail in my hand against the side of the ship, igniting the um, larder and then just screaming, firing madly into its face? Well, if you like. That's all. It okay. may kill me. And may kill everyone? Yep. But, but I feel like that's what What is with you and why does it always come down? <laughs> because okay. fire is useful. There's <laughs> yeah, something very important here somewhere. You, uh, <laughs> I've got to describe it, you'll see. Um, okay. Um, so, Victor, you grab the Molotov cocktail in your hand, smash it open on the top of the railing and watch as the whiskey pours down over the lard, over the side of the ship. And then... You reach for the match in your hand and go to strike it. Please. I was make just going to shoot. Oh, I was gonna... just going to shoot to like let the muzzle flash do the job. Ah, yes. Okay. Well, make a firearms check, please. Ah, oh, that is an extreme success. You raise your, you lower your gun, aim at the patch of lard that you see covered in whiskey, and fire. The bullet hits the lard. The sparks burst off it, and for a moment you see flames 
begin to sweep up the side of the ship. But then, I'm going to make a roll here. The Gnopker roars and beats its chest with its middle hands and you feel a gust of freezing wind batter the ship, rocking it back and forth. I would like everyone who is on deck, that is Victor, Myra and Mike, to please make constitution checks. Oh, that is uh, extreme pass, I believe. Nope. Mm -hmm. I got exactly an extreme pass with a nine. Well, uh, that failed from me. Okay, for those of you who failed, you take three points of damage as the frostbite winds assault you, and you see icicles and bits of frost already forming on your exposed skin and the edges of your clothes. You look at you look under the sleeves of your clothing and see the exposed skin of your wrist starting to rapidly turn pale blue. The wind buffets you and then it quickly subsides and the previous temperatures return, giving you just a few seconds to catch your breath. Victor, you look over the side of the ship and the fires have been extinguished by the Ganopke's blizzard winds. Oh, okay. Can I just shoot the Ganopke then? Yep. The Gnopke oh, bends its legs again, preparing to uh, preparing to leap off the piece of ice. However, it appears to be unnerved from the scant few seconds that flame tore across the lard, and it's got its mouth open in some mockery of. Is it fear or anger? Make a luck check, please, Victor. Okay. Ah, uh, fail. Fail. It stamps its feet into the ice, regains its footing, recovering from its momentary confusion, and then springs forward, leaping up towards the deck. Make a... Uh, you may fire your gun if you're mad, or you may make a dodge check. Well, I am mad. Yep. So you're gonna fire your gun. Uh, it's... yep. Yeah. Hits. It hits. The bullet hits the Gnopker as it leaps through the air towards you. Gnopker only take one damage from conventional forms of attack. So it takes one point of damage as your bullet hits it, and you see a tuft of white powder burst off its fur. You can't see anything in the way of blood. Make a luck check, please. Uh, pass. That's a pass. However, your shot appears to have disturbed its trajectory. It tries to right itself from the impact, but it falls just short of the edge of the deck, reaching out one of its hands and burying its claws through the side of the hull. And then there is a loud screeching noise as the claws begin to slide down the side of the hull. The lard that Myra and Victor left in place, stopping the Gnopker from latching itself from latching itself safely onto the side of the hull. 
The men with guns raise their rifles and fire. Bang! Bang! Their bullets going far wide of the Ganok tear. Myra, you may make a power check to try to break out of your insanity. That's a pass. That's a pass. You stop the weeping as you hear uh, the two rifle shots and hear and feel the thump that rocks the ship as the Ganok tear tries to latch into the hole again and it jolts you out of your reverie. You climb to your feet and what do you do? I try to light my Molotov. Yep. You reach for a match and you strike it, ready to light the Molotov. Make a luck check, please. Oh, shit. I'm sure it's fine. We got this. That's a fail. We don't got this. That, was, that was my luck at the start of this session. Oh, <laughs> the match lights... The match lights for a brief second before the blizzard winds snuff it out, leaving you holding a Molotov cocktail without any means to light it. Okay. Mike Moxley, make a power check, please. Okay, it's actually probably my best stat, so I should be able to... Actually, yeah, that's a pass. Hooray! Mike, you have the money shot, but perhaps you can get... Perhaps you could somehow ensure you get back alive in one piece to be able to publish it. You shake yourself... Nice. You, yeah. shake your, you shake yourself out of your fear and your faculties return. What would you like to do? Um, well, I mean, I don't have any weapons or anything that can hurt this thing, so I think I'm going to go... I'm inside this ship. I I'm very badly hurt. After yeah, you're just gonna run. Yep, just like yep. you know what, you guys got this. You run back down into the ship, leaving everyone behind. It is Tarasberg's turn. Make a power check, please. Uh fail. Fail, you are still insane. Uh, you decide it would be best to... Well, if you can't set it on fire, you're going to put a bullet right between its eyes and mount that thing on your mantelpiece. I am really sorry, but I've yep. got to go. That's okay. Uh, sorry. You've survived anyway, so um, normal rewards you get... Uh, uh, just send yeah, it I'll in send chat. it to you. Thanks, Remy. Yeah, thanks. Sorry it went so long. <laughs> no, I, homebrewed, okay. I homebrewed this. I thought it was going to go shorter, but... <laughs> um, it's been great. Yeah. So I don't mind that it went long, yeah. but yeah, just yeah, that's um, all right. Um, yeah. Well, you've survived so far anyway, so yep. cool. Um, Let me know how it ends. Thank you. Okay. Uh, before we get to Carisberg, meanwhile below deck, Arkansas, you hear another round of gunshots and screaming from upstairs. Would you like to continue working on this translation, or will you head upstairs to help? So how far did we get? Like, do I need to do any rolls for... Not yet, not yet. Not yet? You seem... You and Matheson working together seem to have translated about half of the text. Half of it? Um... Yeah, I think you, you would go for another... Another round of... Tropy wants to get this done. Yep. 
He's, uh, his job was the uh, translation, so that's what he does. You try to shut out the sounds from above, the gunshots, the screaming, and buckle down doing your best. Archibald now huddling in beside you, Buell on the other side, all four of you trying your best to translate this last piece of text. Okay, Karasberg, you failed your power check. Um, I will allow you to have some input in your insanity. Uh, please describe how Karasberg would think to try to kill the Gnopter next. Um, I'll still have some of my rig from when I was, uh, um, uh, whatchamadoobie, like from when I was greasing the ship, right? Yes, you do. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to try and, I'm assuming this ship has, like, like tall vertical bits, yeah. Yeah, like, it does. I'm yeah. Not yeah. Well, the deck, the deck is littered with cranes and digging equipment and the like. So, all right, I'm going to fight it on my turf. I'm going to try and climb up as high as I can and fire my revolver at it. Yep. So as it as it scrambles to find sure footing on uh, the side of the ship, you run away. Uh, and it swipes at you with one of its claws. Please make a dodge check. Uh, uh, hard pass. Yep. You leap out of the way, and just as the Gnop Care uh, tries to dig his claws into the side of the ship and pull himself over, uh, heavily delayed by the lard. You scramble up to the top of a nearby uh, a nearby archaeological crane that would most likely be used to lift slabs of rock. Please make a climb check. Oh, fail. Fail. You can push it if you like, because you're not in combat. Right. Uh, pass. You scramble up, up the side of the crane and perch on the top like a bird on a uh, power pole with the hook of the crane dangling below you and you wait for the Gnopter's head to emerge over the side of the ship and wait for its right hand to wait wait for its right paw to uh, drape over the railing and as it starts pulling itself onto the deck you raise your revolver and fire make a firearms check with advantage please Uh, hard pass. No, no, hard pass, sorry, normal yep. pass. Hard pass or normal pass? No, norm, normal, normal pass. pass. Bang! You hit the Gnopter, your bullet slams into its face right between its eyes, expelling another cloud of dust, but only dealing one damage. The Gnopter roars, and make a luck check, please, Karasberg. Uh, pass. Pass. Your shot appears to have disturbed it enough that it loses its footing once again and roars as it tumbles over the side of the deck. The ship jolts and you hear a metallic crash as it digs its claws once again into the side of the hull. And you can see that it's dangling about halfway down the hull, uh, only scant metres away from the water below. Quick, get it now, shouts one of the sailors as he raises his gun. At this point, 
You see Myra climb to her feet. She looks at the sword in her hand and pursing her lips together she decides to run to the side of the run to the side of the deck and raising her sword overhead she hurls it over the side of the ship and i'm going to roll for that throw attempt that will be pushed The saber sails past the uh, Gnot's hair, and you see it jostle to try to avoid being hit. One of its claws falls out of the side of its hole, and it scrambles to uh, reattach itself. Karasberg, make a power check, please. Oh, you may push it. Fail, I go more Failed. bad. Yep. You realise that your bullets are doing nothing, and so you decide to climb down and perhaps take on it the old-fashioned way. Make a climb oh, check, please. Hey, hey, what? Make a climb check, please. Um, actually, can I have some a little bit of input in how this goes? Yeah, you can. All you've All decided right, of, is that your gun isn't working, and you're going to try something else. Um, instead of climbing down, I'm going to pull out my big survival knife and take a running leap off the side of it and to try and plunge it into it when I land on it. Ooh. Yeah, you draw your survival knife and you're shouting, I must prove him wrong! And you draw what is just, what barely just counts as a knife. It's more like a machete. And then as everyone else watches, it gasps as Mike Boxley watches from the entrance to below deck. You leap over the side of the ship. Please make a jump check. I actually have this. 100! You may push oh it. Oh my god. Alright, wait a second. Oh, control. Two! Extreme! Extreme! Oh, wow. What that coin? You leap over the side of the ship and the Gnoptair watches lazily as you plummet down. And it begins to raise one of its great claws to swing at you. You step, you hold out, you plunge your arm forwards and stick the knife. Into its claw, into its hands, just below the claw that is attached to the hull of the ship, it roars in pain. And make a luck check, please. Fail. Fail. It loses its footing. The impact from the knife causing one of its claws to snap. Crack as it breaks off the side of the ship and roars, struggling to reattach itself, but thanks to the lard being unable to. It sees you, it looks at you, it bares its teeth, and as you both fall down the side of the ship, it reaches for you. 
You are falling. You failed your dodge check, so it swipes you. Uh, no, that was a luck check. Not oh, a you dodge failed check. your yeah. You failed your luck check. So you don't get a dodge check. And yeah. it's and as you both plummet into the water below, it pulls you close and swipes you with one of its claws. Yeah. Seven points of damage. All right, I'm still up. Make Good a con. One. Make a con save, please. Uh, p pass. Pass. You manage to stay conscious, even as the Gnop tears claws tear through your clothing and flesh, stripping your skin right off in front of you, and you see it flailing from the end of the claw like a leather-coloured flag. The Gnop tear roars, and you see where your knife is sticking out. You see droplets of blood running down it. Running down its white fur, it roars, right. and with a loud splash, the two of you land in the freezing water. Alright, I'll use... I'll suppose I'll go down swinging then. I'll just grab the knife and I'll just keep on stabbing into it, just going for the neck, going for the eyes, whatever I can hit. Okay. You land in the water next to the Gnop chair, and the Gnop chair reaches first for the knife, then for you, and it looks back at you with what is clearly an expression of pain written on its face. And as you go to swim towards it, please make a luck check. Mm. Uh, fail. Oh, no, that's the same. No, 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 wait, that's not the... There yeah, that's, that's a pass. You grit your teeth. If you're going to die, you're taking this thing with you and you're still alive. You ready yourself to swim forward, fight down the pain. And as you make your first stroke, the Gnopcare swipes at you to keep you away. Dodge, moving back a few centimetres, just out of range of its claws. It looks at you, its gaze lingering on you, and then it opens its mouth, roaring silently, and turns away. And a red, an inky red cloud billowing from its right topmost it turns away and begins to flee into the depths of the water. Huh. Um, can I test power to see if I am no longer mad? Yes. Then you may do it with advantage. Okay, cool, because I would have failed again otherwise. No, I fail again! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's okay. You've taken enough damage that your temporary insanity is over. You find yourself there, treading water, about to run oh, out I've, of breath as the... I've literally got like one in, like yeah. one hit point left, so I'm like probably drifting on the top of yeah. the water. You're just drifting you on the going, what the fuck did I wake up to? You're just drifting on the top of the water, breathing heavily, clutching your chest, which has had its skin flayed off as the water around you turns bright red and the huge shadow that is the Gnop Care disappears. You have survived. Up on deck, as the men... Uh, the men wait a few moments to make sure the Gnop Care is gone and then they quickly get to work bringing you back on board, rushing you down into the medical bay and tending to your wounds. Meanwhile, Arkansas, 
would like you to please make an archaeology, a Norse, and an intelligence check. Um, so that is a normal pass, a hard pass, and an extreme pass. Hmm. You pass, and as you hear the as you hear the footsteps ringing down the corridor outside, as you hear the men shouting, "Quick, quick! Stabilize him! Get him into the room! Bandages on! Quickly! Now! Now! Now!" You and Matheson look at each other, smiles on your faces, as you have translated the last block of text. It reads. Let me just scroll to the part of the book. It says, the Gnop care does not abide pain, but nor does it abide being owed revenge. The bottom of the, the, bottom of the translation contains a, the directions for a spell simply labelled Contact Gnop care. Oh. Interesting. That sounds like good old fashioned fun. <laughs> and thus ends the scenario, part one of Trail to Sophogua. After uh, doing the translation, can I go and do a first aid for. Yes, you may. <laughs> After you yeah, complete. Yeah, I need really attention badly. <laughs> I mean, I don't need it as drastically, but I'm also looking like absolute crap, so feel free to get to me once you're done with him. Uh, yep, I can only do one a day. And you did gain uh, another, um, Mike Moxley, you did gain another hit point, because you did rest overnight, so you should be I up know, to I got my hit point back, and then I lost, like, three more, so I'm oh, dead yeah. with, with third. Yep. But I'm still doing better than Mr. I'm gonna go friggin' stab at six long ball there. I got a pass. Pass, yep, so you recover one HP and your major wound is healed. Please take note of your HP values as we'll be used pity as the next part will take place literally the next day. So um, but for now, as Karasberg is rushed into the medical room and everyone scrambles to provide first aid, you look over at him and he smiles and before he sinks into unconsciousness. He just whispers, <laughs> I got it. Show you, Dad. And... Arkansas, you do not have the heart to tell him what you just read. That the Gnob care does not abide by pain, nor does it brook being, uh, being withheld revenge. It has not forgotten and Karasberg will certainly have to deal with it at some point in the near future. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, so before we get to the rewards, uh, Arkansas, would you like to learn that spell, Contact Gnop Care? Sure. Please make a power check. That is a hard pass. A hard pass. 
you learn the spell Contact Gnot Tear, carefully memorizing the words over the next couple of days. You're not sure what the spell does, as there is nothing provided in its description other than its name, Contact Gnot Tear. However, as you will now receive 1d6 Cthulhu Mythos points for surviving this scenario, you may add that to your character sheet, and if you want, may make a Cthulhu Mythos check. That was a six, good. Okay, so now I'll do a Cthulhu Mythos. <laughs> so I rolled a nine. <laughs> a nine. Okay, I'm so going to use three points of luck to make that a six. Three points of luck, very well. In that case, you actually, once you learn the Contact Gnot Care spell, you actually understand intuitively what it does. Ah, uh, and so now I have to look it up. Give me a second. Uh, uh, contact Gnot Care. It is here. Uh, contact Gnot Care. Let's have a look. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, that's here we go. The contact spells. Bear with me, guys, because I was not. I was not making good. You actually getting it? Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, book is loading. Book is loading. I should get my physical book. I just couldn't be bothered. Um. Uh, okay. Contents page. Contents page. Uh, and, uh, spells. Spells, spells. Oh, there we go. Alright. So, contact Gnop Care. This will allow you to, as it says, contact a Gnop Care. How this is done is, uh, is there specifically... Oh, yep. Uh, it costs, uh, a sanity loss of 1d3 when you cast it mm -hmm. and an equal amount of uh, magic points okay unless there are no gnop care nearby the spell succeeds automatically the spell will allow you to communicate telepathically with a nearby gnop care It may not immediately come to you, but you can talk to it and maybe uh, convince it to come to your aid or perform some other action. And actually, sorry, it costs six magic points. 1d3 san and six magic points. Okay. So, yeah, there was a chance to learn that earlier in the scenario, and that was one of the ways you could have got rid of the Gnot Care without having to fight it, so... Man. It's just, um, it was literally, you know, that first block that Remy tried to translate and he failed the yeah. luck check? That was that block. <laughs> okay, so we get to rewards. Uh, everyone survived, so everyone receives 1d6 points of Cthulhu Mythos skill. That was what I've already done. Yep, you've already done that. Cool, cool. Oh, fine. Additionally, you may increase any three skills by 1d6 each. 
How did everyone go? I rolled three threes. Three threes, okay, so what are you going to put them in? <laughs> oh, I already made those decisions. Very well. And with that, uh, I believe over the course of the scenario, Mike, you obtained three uh, perfect photos. And uh, so one of the Gnop Care leaping, uh, one of the wall going down, and one of the crew about to disembark. So that is three perfect photos. So you may increase your sand by three. Oh, solid. Well done. And so our scenario comes to an end. Trail of Sothogua, part one, as our heroes arrived in the Arctic wastes of Greenland and found horror, of course, waiting for them. What they expected, and perhaps things much worse. Next uh, session, we will play part two of Trail of Sothogua, where our heroes catching their breath from this terrifying ordeal finally make their way to the green uh, to the greenland town of god Thorpe, and then at long last into the greenland interior to try to find the site of the ancient hyperborean city Thank you, everyone, for joining. Thank you very, very much to uh, Legio Necros for the raiding party, for Orchid, Orchid Twilight for showing up, and for Ivy for showing up. Very much appreciated. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. But until then, when you go on an expedition in the Arctic, don't go near any polar bears. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.